Welcome to Literary License Podcast, and today we're discovering Anna and the Apocalypse, and we are discussing the writer of the song lyrics, or the lyricist, and the songwriter, the one who produced the music. And they are Roddy Hart. Hello, Roddy. How are you? Hey, mate. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. And Tommy Riley. Hello, Tommy. How's it going? Hello. And we have Barry Waldo, who actually wrote the novel, um, production of Anna and the Apocalypse, which is available now on Kindle, which will give you a bit more information at the end of the interview about that. So I thought we'd start off with both of your careers, because before you did Anna and the Apocalypse, it looks like you were both had very um, established recording careers. And starting with you, Roddy, you did, um, you had a solo career before you joined with the band you are, and you can't, you released three separate albums. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, born and raised in Glasgow and had a, a music career, but on a very independent level, released a few albums and, you know, had this band called The Lonesome Fire, who I still do things with, um, you know, now and again. We haven't made a record for four years because film and TV and theatre have kind of taken over. But, you know, very much an obsessive of songwriting and records and the craft of songwriting and that was a, an amazingly important learning ground for what I've ended up going into with Tommy. And it's through making these albums that Tommy and I met. We toured together back in 2009 and uh, Tommy had his first album was just being released. And I think I was making my second or my third album. And, and 
Tommy very kindly took me on tour with him, a legendary tour that we still talk about to this day, with us all in a van, scooting around the UK and getting up to all sorts. But it was an amazing time and we became fast friends and bonded really heavily over a lot of songwriters, a lot of different types of music um, and weirdly over film and, and all those different types of mediums. So that's what started our friendship and um, the context of actually making records. And Tommy, you um, were on a Channel 4 TV show here in the UK called um, Orange Unsigned Acts, and where you showed yourself off as a solo artist. And most of our listeners should also know that you're actually a pretty respected harmonica player who's done actually some um, stuff on classical recordings as well. No, that's not so me. How did you find- <laughs> that's not me. That's the other... That's the other Tommy Riley. He's a Canadian oh, is it? with the same name. Although oh. I, I am a pretty solid harmonica player, but I can't <laughs> play back on the harmonica. Not like that guy. I can well. do when the Saints go marching in. <laughs> and and is like well, uh, that one, Tommy. Well, I had to sit there and say that um, we got to we got to sort out Spotify then because I did Spotify yeah. playlist for all our um, all our subscribers yeah, at the moment. Have a word both of your I've been arguing with Spotify about this for like five years because um, he keeps his stuff keeps appearing on my page and my stuff keeps appearing on his. Although to be honest, it's, it's an honor. The guy's a genius. Yeah, so I, I, have to, I did listen. To, I listened to all your solo music and I listened to harmonica stuff going, God, I, th- I found it a bit odd good, that you didn't man. have any harmonica playing on your solo albums. But he's, I thought, good, man. He's, hey. uh, <laughs> he's good. Like he's really good. It's worth listening to. He's got an album called The Life of Riley which I've got mm-hmm. on vinyl here. And um, it's all Irish folk songs, but performed on the harmonica. And uh, I like to have dinner to that. Well, you also came out with, um, you know, an album in 2010 and in 2015, you did release six track EP called Weightless that got a lot of critics really um, enthralled and got really high praise for that. So how do you find um, working solo? And then this is to you too, Roddy, now working as like a partnership. Um, yeah, I mean, I got it got quite miserable working solo, to be completely honest with you. It's rather depressing over time. <laughs> um, I found it that way anyway. It's like it's quite a solitary pursuit. So this film stuff's been a joy because there's there's so many other people involved. There's like fundamentally me and Roddy doing it together, so that's two people. And then there's directors, writers, Barry, you know, everybody. There's, there's millions of new people to work with and... I, I met you guys. Uh, I met you guys together. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen you separate. Uh, <laughs> uh, to me, it's like a it's the two headed monster that's brilliant in its own right. Um, yeah, I can't imagine a life without um, yeah you guys being separated. People can't you know distinguish us or tell us apart anymore because they just refer to us as Toddy. Now we're this collective <laughs> one you know, one being that they all see us as, but that's cool. You know I mean? It's, you know, to answer your question, really, I was kind of lucky. I had a band, Tommy, Tommy had a band in the early days, but latterly the records he was making were, were solo. And, but you know, this, it was the same principle. We were both living this kind of solo artist life where the kind of, the, all the pressure is on you to write and record and produce up the, music you're making and and we often say that getting involved in the Anna world sort of saved our lives in a weird way because it gave us this new focus this new purpose this new relationship and partnership that we could 
um, taken to work. And, you know, suddenly, as Tommy says, there was just people surrounding us. And, you know, not just ordinary people, amazing creative people, choreographers and actors and directors and writers, and and the list goes on. And, and suddenly that's a really nurturing, fulfilling world to find yourself in and very exciting and it actually feeds your own creativity so the moment we started writing together it was just like this whole new door was opened for us that we hadn't necessarily seen coming and we just went through it you know with with absolute gusto and how did you come on board for Anna and the apocalypse how did that um well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, basically, you, Roddy, you met, you met Nathan and Ryan, and yeah. So you mentioned Sunshine on Leith, and um, that's a film that I, you know, just this, that's really just the prologue to what really happened, which was, you know, the the proper musical venture with Anne and the Apocalypse. But as a kind of singer songwriter, gigging musician, I was asked to be involved in the film version of Sunshine on Leith, which is a film adaptation, musical adaptation of the Proclaimers songs. And through that, I met Nason Alai Karu, who went on to be the producer of Anna, and Ryan McHenry, who was the originator of the idea for Anna, and he's sadly no longer with us. But um, they asked if I would be interested in being involved, and and they had this commission, this sort of um, film commission for investment, rather, for Anna and the Apocalypse, it was then called Zombie Musical. And I was really keen on it, but I just didn't think I could do it alone. In fact, I tried a couple of things alone and I just thought this job is too big. And you can see why a lot of musical and musicians, um, sort of musicals are written by partnerships because there's just so much, it's so involving. So I phoned Tommy up and the story goes that I phoned him up and I said to him, I've been sent this thing it's called zombie musical and i've been asked to write music for it and tommy said if it's got zombies in it and it's a musical then i'm in and that was him he was right i'll be around in five minutes so yeah tommy you can pick it up from here oh, i mean then that was it then we just got stuck into it and the guys liked it and then we wanted to write the score for it as well and we just no one ever really stopped us <laughs> we just did it <laughs> and then somehow it was fine um and uh, yeah, just no one really. It just kind of happened, and no one, no one ever fired us, and now it exists. <laughs> now you wrote the words and the music. Um, did you do both, or did you do take turns on writing the music and take turns writing the lyrics, or one write the lyrics, one write the music, or how did you come across to that partnership? Um, we kind of just do both. It's hard to explain. There's no real process to it it's not a sort of Rogers and um, Hammerstein yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know yeah. usually what we've found ourselves falling into is this um, almost Sherman Brothers-esque relationship where Tommy sits at the piano if you get two of you in both bashing away on a piano it just becomes like a wall of noise so Tommy will sit at the piano sometimes I'll have the guitar but I'll be sort of singing things Tommy will sing and play and I'll have the notepad out or the, I'll be on the computer and we'll just be firing ideas at each other and we'll talk lots and lots about the songs and the drama and what's needed for that moment. And that's kind of what we found that we, the first week we tried anything for Anna and the Apocalypse, we sort of said, if we get three songs in a week or two weeks, 
that we're happy with, then maybe there's something in this. Maybe we can do this because we'd never harbored any ambitions to write a musical. And within the first few days, we genuinely had sketches for about 10 songs. And about five of those went on to be songs like Breakaway and um, I Will Believe and things that made the final version of, of Anna and the Apocalypse. And, and we just kind of knew that writing to brief when you're, you know, in the middle of a story and you are asked to write a specific song moment suddenly, for some reason, it's more freeing. I don't know why it sounds counter intuitive but it's more freeing being given an actual brief because you know you have to hit that moment and you're not just you know grasping around in the dark for something to write of your own Keith when I first met um, Roddy and Tommy it was like a tornado of heart riliness Um, every single song that they had written uh, for Anna was uh, in their own voices. You guys were doing all the vocals. You were singing yeah. the male parts, the female parts. Um, and they were at the keyboard and we were in a very small studio uh, over by Kenning Park, right? And uh, uh, the guys just were like all over the keyboard pulling up songs and songs and singing along. And I was sitting there uh, looking at them. You know, I had previously worked for Will I Am and I had spent some time in a studio. Uh, watching Will just craft his his art, uh, but it was nothing <laughs> like seeing uh, Roddy and Tommy uh, <laughs> move across that keyboard in unison. It was almost like a ballet. It was so beautiful. Um, and I just, it, you fell in love with every single song. They knew every intimate note and lyric to it. Never seen anything like it. I have to sit there and say that the the music is very infectious to the point where um you know, the Hollywood ending song, I still find myself running through my head and find myself like humming the chorus or coming out with the words nonstop, which is excellent. And well, that, was a, that was a hard song to nail. Tommy might remember this a bit clearer than I do, but I remember us struggling with that one. Well, yeah, the lyrics, I have to say, are spot on. I mean, I mean, he found a rhyming word for McConaughey. I mean, that's, that's something, <laughs> that's something Sondheim would be very, very proud of, actually. But also I have to sit there and say that what I like about Anna and the Apocalypse, about the music per se, it reminds me of those off-Broadway musicals that don't really get a lot to notice. They're like, you know, whether it's Little Shop of Horrors or Weird Romance or or what we're going to be covering um, later on this month, Toxic the Avenger, the musical, which is written by the guy from Bon Jovi, wrote the, the music for that. And um, and I have to sit there and say, I that's what I quite like about it because it feels intimate. The music, the music, and everything sounds intimate. But what was quite good about your score, which is, which is considering that you didn't, because normally what you do is you have the lyricists write the the, the script for it, and then but what you, because you guys work separately, it's it, you were able to get actually get inside the script and actually carry the movie forward instead of like stopping the movie for the song, but able to carry it forward with the inside um, voices of the characters, which I thought was extremely brilliant. In, in this production of Anna and the Apocalypse. And I mean, it's I, in, it, you know, we, um, this was a big discussion we had right at the start in terms of how story specific things should be versus how kind of widescreen they should be. And a, a guy that Tommy and I bonded over way back when we started uh, touring together was Randy Newman, who we talked a lot about with this musical in a strange way because what he can do is have a song that has a meaning in a scene like in Toy Story 
when he you know when she loved me for example and and that's a song uh, sung by a doll about her owner but when Randy Newman sits on a stage and plays it it's like he's singing about his ex-partner or someone he's he's lost and so we had this kind of thing going on through Anna where we wanted them to have that double meaning that the the ability to be taken out of the film and still work as songs but when they're in the film and you see them with the picture, it's important that they, they worked and told the story. You know, even building on that, Roddy, when we were trying to write the book, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges ever is you've got a full-length musical and half of, you know, what is it, 10 tracks? Um, 10 full tracks, you take that out and there's a lot more story that you have to write without the music. And so your lyrics... Um, were so powerful that we ended up using a lot of those lyrics in the storytelling form of a written book, uh, which is a testament to how strong those songs actually do move the story forward. I also have to sit there and say that also um, the music, and it also reminds me of a lot of Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, where um, if you look at Alan Menken's music, it brings it always gets the feeling of the, the character. But then you get the Howard Ashman lyrics, which always has that, even though they're powerful emotionally, they always have that bit of a smirk to them to actually get to what they're trying to say. You know, you know, if you look at stuff like Little Shop of Horrors, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and so on and so forth. And even Howard Ashman's that he wrote with Marvin Hamlish, Smile, the musical, um, yeah. which if you ever get a chance to listen to it, give it a listen to it. It's quite interesting. But, um, but yeah, I, that's what I thought. I think that's probably why Anna and the Apocalypse is finding the audience as it keeps growing. I noticed that the fan base is growing like on top of each other every, every time. I discovered it on Sky Movies. Thought, oh, what's this? Okay, I've got nothing else to do. And then now I find myself watching it once a week at the moment, which is wow. kind of... <laughs> And I think yeah. I think my housemates are getting annoyed, but I'm and I'm turning so many people yeah. onto it, and they're like, "This is fantastic!" And it has a lot of it has to do with that the the music and the lyric content that you both produce for are something that carries it forward and makes it believable. And when you get the punch for the endings that you do get, they're unexpected endings that you that you don't really expect makes you give you more pathos for the characters that I don't think that any, I don't think a lot of people could have pulled that off the way you two have been able to pull that off. Thanks man. Well, that's very nice of you. It's Christmas. So you can watch it as much as you want. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, and you know, Tommy and I, it's it's a, it's a very big compliment, too big a compliment, but you know, Ashman and and Menken. We're big big Menken Ashman fans. Yeah. Musically, I just yeah, worship that guy. Menken's a genius, you know. And, and Ashman, you know, the lyrics are ridiculous. But we had we had a fine line to walk because ultimately, you know, the the script that Alan uh, McDonald wrote and this, the idea that Ryan McHenry had was this kind of um, you know it's it's sweet and it's innocent and it is a kind of another look at a teenage high school you know it kind of exists in this bubble that it's kind of like some high schools but not like others and and you don't quite know where it is and there's a lot of accents going on and and so our job became to walk this line between kind of pop music really and and indie music which is the world that we both come from um and the third element which is the tradition of musicals like Sondheim and um, you know Menken and all these guys that that are massive, massive heroes of ours. And actually, the more we come into this world, the more 
we realised just how brilliant so many of these guys are and because we come from this different world of songwriting. But actually, that's what's been the interesting journey for us is is appreciating that craft and trying to emulate it at times, but also trying to do our own thing with the, with the songs and, and put our own stamp on what, what it is we do as a, a duo and a partnership. I have to sit there and say that you do have a kind of a Nostradamus effect, um, considering that you did write a song called Human Voice that kind of fits the whole COVID crisis at the moment, <laughs> sort of thing. Which... There's, a, there's a, a name escapes, is it Keris? It's a terrible memory. A wonderful um, a choir master, or choir, like she's studying composition or chorals, something, I can't remember, a terrible memory. You just did a brilliant version of oh yeah RCS students singing human voice because she thought it was timely and just of the of the lockdown moment. Yeah, um, send uh... that over. It, it was. It, I'll send that over to you guys. It was. It's worth hearing. She. It's a brilliant version. She's arranged of it. Um, something yeah, your yeah. Uh, your listeners should know is that Tommy and Roddy are both clairvoyant, so they saw this whole twenty twenty. <laughs> We have nothing to do with it. We did not write the story of Anna and the Apocalypse. We just wrote the songs. But, I, you know, Tommy talking about Keris, who is Keris uh, Redding, I think her name was, is somebody who just reached out to us on Twitter and said, I've done a, a vocal arrangement with a whole bunch of singers through lockdown of Human Voice, one of the songs from Anna. Um, you know, am I okay to share it? And we we were delighted. And, and actually you talking about this having a life of its own or having a, a pocket of fans that maybe grows with every week, however small or incre- incrementally that might be, there's been something really pleasing and just people finding their way to it. And it is, you know, it was a low budget film. It, you know, in many ways exceeded all our expectations because we were just a bunch of friends working on it from a very sort of honest and pure place. Um, and we we took that and ran with it. But what's been lovely is that we get emails all the time, especially from American theatre students, asking if they can use the songs to audition for Musical Theatre College with. And that's weirdly one of the best feelings you can get because you know that you're starting to make an impression on, on the people that love that form. And, and that's, you know, that's a big compliment. How did you find that when you written written the music and then you had your actor sing it? How was how was that experience? That's that's the best bit. That's the best bit. We don't have to sing it anymore. We, uh, <laughs> you don't want to hear that version. It's not very good, um, especially when it's us playing like all the parts in the same song, and the six characters, and it's just the same two voices pinging back and forth. So. These and you know these actors are phenomenal and like you know Paul Kay had done stage stuff so had Mark Benton you know um, you know these like so had like Sarah you know they all had they all had stage experience so you've got like professionals coming in and we're we're not we're mm-hmm. that's not us from the singing perspective so you know that that's the dream that's the best bit. It was it was an amazing experience to hear the songs come alive for the first time. You know we have both got very good memories of. Hearing Ella Hunt as Anna sing I Will Believe, you know, for, which is a kind of emotional moment at the end of the film. And she just sort of said to us, look, just leave me for five minutes and then I'll go for a couple of takes. And she was very emotional and it was and it was really beautiful thing. We just we just sort of quietly hit record and we said, right, just when you're ready. And 
Um, you know, Sarah Swire bringing the end of Human Voice alive, Paul Kay totally making Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now um, his own. And actually, you know, it's just they're bringing, they're bringing the acting element to it that we don't have, which is just something that makes these songs, gives, just brings them up a level. You know, you, you write the melody, you write the words, but actually performance is absolutely key. And that's what they brought to it. Now, after An Apocalypse, um, Roddy, you went on to do a movie that kind of got caught up in the whole COVID release thing, um, which is called Our Ladies. Both of us did it. Oh, you both did it. Okay. Yeah. So, so what what was your involvement in Our Ladies, which will hopefully see the light of day soon? Tommy, tell us about it. Yeah, we did. What did we do? We we had to arrange a bunch of music for the, the film's fundamentally about a girls' choir from Fort William who go to Edinburgh for a choir competition. It's based on an Alan Warner novel called The Sopranos, um, which is incredible. If you haven't read it, you absolutely should. Um, and yeah, so there's a lot of choir music in the film. So uh, we did so many different things for that movie. Like one minute we're arranging music for like a 20 piece uh, women's choir. Um, then there's like, there's, there's, there's funk and soul in it. You know, there's all kinds of music. Um, and then we had some bits of score to write as well. So there's a lot of like musical, musically directing, I guess, a lot of different jobs wrapped up into one where, you know, we would be arranging music for sequences um, as well as writing bits of new music for the score. So it was a, it was a, a lot of things. Can't wait for what, Yeah, Yeah, we're really excited. It did, yeah, get caught up in COVID and... Um, we hope it will see the light of day next week, uh, next year rather, <laughs> not as soon as next week. But yeah, next year is when we hope it will come out and yeah. so, Sony are releasing it and we're, we're excited. And Marley Sue, who was in Anna and the Apocalypse, she yeah, we, is in it as well. We only work on projects with Marley in them. I don't I know how to keep happening, but... <laughs> I mean, you also, I mean... Phenomenally, you got to work with Michael Canton Jones, which, if our listeners don't know, he did fantastic movies like the British film Scandal about yeah. the killer, and of course Memphis Belle and Rob Roy. Um, I won't mention Basic Instinct too, but <laughs> <laughs> we all got we all got that one project. He doesn't he doesn't mention either. It's fine. <laughs> so what was it like working with him because he's quite um he's quite high up on the respectability caliber as far as film directors are concerned it's really funny because he's a name that i used to see when i would go to the video store to rent videos back in the 90s for memphis bell doc hollywood um the jackal with bruce willis um this boy's life with dicaprio and robert de niro i just always assumed michael canton jones was american because he was doing these massive films and he's from Broxburn in Scotland. And we got hooked up with him on this film and we just absolutely loved working with him. He's just a no-nonsense Scottish man with so much experience and we learned so much from him working alongside him in terms of the way he's dealt with music. He's very musical as well. He is a huge music fan. So he talks the language and... um, when we were sent the script for what was then called The Sopranos and has become Our Ladies, it had a Spotify playlist accompanying it. So you would read a bit of the script and then Michael would put this playlist together going and then they sing a song a bit like this and and you would hit play. And it was an amazing experience to read that script and 
hear the music that was in his head at the same time. So we had this great dialogue and, and you know, he's he's an amazing man. Yeah, and it was amazing to do something with him, you know, Scottish director that was such a Scottish story and a bit of a, a Scottish classic, the, 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 the novel that it's based on. So the whole thing just had a really great um, close-to-home feeling. Yeah. I'm looking forward to actually like that. When I read about that, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So Yeah, we're very proud of it. We're just, you know, waiting for the right time for it to come out. But yeah, it was a bit of like a funny one. We all went to London for the, like London Film Festival for the premiere and all had a big night out. And then we, here we go, our film's coming out. And then, whoa, no, it's not. So um, it'll be nice when it finally does see the light of day. Yeah, I'm just hoping that they don't do the thing where it's like, okay, we can now release movie. Let's release everything at the same time. So you're up like against like Wonder Woman or something. It's like, oh, no, please don't do that. <laughs> we'll wait and see what the big week. Yeah, we don't, we about. we don't know. Like, we we really don't know what's happening with it, but we hope it will get a cinema release because it's a kind of UK slash Scottish movie that's backed by Sony, which deserves to be seen on a big screen. That's the way Michael directs as well. Is that kind of old school widescreen approach that he takes to filmmaking well it's also got a really good cast as well so yeah. i noticed that as well so what do you have planned for the future can you tell us anything that you're working on at the moment yeah 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 we're working we've been working on the songs for um for warner brothers um for animaniacs it's a reboot of the 90s classic cartoon We've been writing songs for that for the past two and a half years, and the first season just came out, but only in America. It's not out over here. Yes. So, super exciting. I mean, it's just been, that's been the craziest thing ever. It's a dream come true. The, yeah, we, it, joke, we joke that the two main things we don't have in Scotland are the sun and Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's coming out on, and uh, we don't have it over here. So we actually haven't seen the full series, but we've been working really closely on the songs and it's been a you know the job of a lifetime. Now the first Animaniacs had some amazing actors involved in it for doing music like like Bernadette Peters and people like that. Were you able to work with some amazing voice talents this time around? Oh yeah, the best. I mean the the, the original voice actors are back. You know the original Animaniacs themselves, the Sibs as they as we call them. Um, yeah. So that was an honor. You know, it's an honor to write a song and hear those guys sing it. Um, just the best, the most, the most fun you can ever have at work. Yeah, we were. How did we you were find working in. Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. All I was going to say was it was a new one for us because a lot of the recording was happening during the lockdown, and you know we were skyping over to LA for sessions, and they were in a studio or at home in a home studio, and so we were working closely with them, but through the internet, through the, the, I mean, God knows what we would have done without the internet throughout this whole thing, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, it's been, it was amazing to hear them, again, bring the songs to life, but it's a different, another step into a different world for us because it's cartoon characters, so it's so heightened. The voices are, you know, massive and big and, and brilliant and hilariously funny, and you, you your job is to just allow them to, you know, leap off of the songs and just, you know, bring them alive in that sense. And were you able to push the envelope as far as you could push it for a family um, animated feature? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'll have to wait and see when it when we can finally get it over here in the UK. We'll see what happens. Don't know when that will Do you be. think the fish rap is what got you the job? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think it's a miracle we got the job despite the fish rap, to be quite honest. <laughs> I have to sit there say every time the fish rap comes across on the soundtrack or whatever it pops up on, because I, I because as you know, YouTube has algorithms, and I tend to watch um, a lot of the music man on YouTube. And I've also now bought the soundtrack, and I know you have the Blu-ray now as well. I'll have the T-shirt soon, but um, super fun. <laughs> becoming a super fan sadly greatly so sadly to no, whoever nothing um, sad about oh, it nothing sad but the fish rap is very very cleverly written I have to sit there and say and I also have to sit there and say that uh, it's that time of year is very very cleverly written so you know so. fish uh, rap's the only one we got to sing that's our cameo oh yeah Ah, okay. Yeah, that's us on that record. That's us singing on that. I oh. forgot about that as well. So it's not you in the penguin outfit then? No. <laughs> okay. Miming. We had penguin stand-ins for that, penguin costume stand-ins. For I'm that. in the band, though. If you look closely at that, you know, I'm, 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 on, I'm on the keyboard. That's in the background. And Anna, whereas I got cut, I was a teacher in the background, <laughs> and then they cut my scene. I can't believe it. It was absolutely raging. I was going to report it to the Actors' Union. You were a history teacher or something? I was a history teacher. I was one of the oldies. Sorry, uh, so let, let me get this right. So Tommy played a high school student in the band, and uh, you were a professor, Ron? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, not going to make any more comments other than that. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing is, I went in on the day. They said to me, um, just come in, you're, you're going to play a teacher. And I came in, and um, they said that their wardrobe had been gearing up to kick me out in teacher gear and I just wore my normal hipster blazer in and they took one look at me and said yeah that's fine you look like you're a 50 year old teacher that's cool are you still in the uh, maybe you're in the um, director's cut because on the blu-ray there's the theatrical cut and the director's cut and then yeah. there's the cut scenes as well so yeah, yeah. you might be um, in the uh, maybe maybe in the full, full length one yeah I can't remember actually it's, oh, it's so long ago I mean it's really lovely to talk about it again because you know, this was, uh, as Tommy says, we've been working on Animaniacs for two and a half years. And in the midst of that, we did Our Ladies. Um, and so Anna was like, it's just this really precious thing that gave us so much because we literally would not be working in this world if we hadn't done that. That's what got us a meeting with Warner Brothers after, you know, it was bought by an American studio. And, and you know, it, we owe it so much and it, it'll always have a very special place in our hearts because of that. To say that the only um, read a lot of critic stuff, and one of our podcast buddies, Bloodbath and Beyond, um, yeah. said that the only thing that they regretted about Anne and the Apocalypse is that they wished it was a Netflix series and it ran as a series instead of a movie because they wanted to see more, which is a yeah. good thing at the end of the day. So, so who knows? You might even get a sequel. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> something kind of cool about the fact yeah, that Malcolm, just... doesn't want, Malcolm doesn't want a sequel because. Well, no spoilers here, but Malcolm doesn't want any sequels. Malcolm um, Cumming, who plays John, doesn't want a, a sequel for a very important reason that people who watch the film will understand why. He basically won't let us. It hasn't stopped Rob Zombie keep putting his wife, even even what happens. <laughs> he keeps bringing her back for every single movie. <laughs> she came back for Halloween too, so anything's possible. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, who knows? I mean, it's just this very special place in our heart. And, you know, part of me just loves the fact that it was an indie film that found an audience and continues to find a, a kind of cult audience. And you have that almost 
Little Shop of Horrors, um, Rocky Horror Picture kind of aspect to it where people do use it and, and cosplay fanatics will dress up as Anna and, um, you know, that's... And some people will sing I Will Believe or give them a show, a, an audition, a musical audition, and that's, you know, a big a big bonus for us. We love it because of that. And we are well, seeing think- a bit of... Um, Keith, I'm not sure if you've seen them, but on the Anna social accounts, we've been sharing a lot of them, but we're getting a lot of um, great mashups that either Roddy or Tommy will be tagged on or they'll tag the uh, Anna and Apocalypse accounts. And uh, there's some amazing talent out there of people who are doing like multiple vocal parts. Um, I'm not exactly sure the musical term for it, but uh, there's some really great user-generated content now that people are doing with your songs, Roddy and Tommy, that um, I'm, you guys have seen those, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Some people have been doing covers of the songs, and that's that's an honor. You know, that's the best, it's the best feeling. And some of the versions have been really, really great. You know, yeah. um, some ideas in there that we missed, <laughs> some things in there that we missed. It just shows that it has a life of its own. It just, you know, you do it, you do the work, and you do it to the best of your ability. And you know. You look back and sometimes with the songs you think we could have done this differently. We would, but that's the whole point: is it's it's in the moment you do it, and then people take it as it as it lands, and it and it takes on a whole new life. And they find moments in it, little pockets that they adore that that you didn't see coming. For example, like the penguin rap is the classic example because it was just a random thing that Tommy and I did extremely quickly to fill this one moment in the in the film at the talent show before it's that time of year happens before Lisa sings it's that time of year and that was the big moment the big sort of dirty Christmas Santa song and we needed one moment of a little what's happening in the talent show right before that so we slammed through it really quickly and then loads of people watch it and and love that moment we think we wrote 12 other songs and they love this 20 second rap on the day there was a panic because there was nothing for the penguins to dance to and we had this random piece of like sort of French jazz music that we'd pitched for an advert it was sort of like or maybe like Russian piano music that we'd pitched for this advert thing that we'd written yeah. and then we gave it to the penguins so the penguins aren't actually dancing to the fish rap they're dancing to sort of the sort of <laughs> European sounding piano thing we wrote for an advert um, so the fish rap completely the opposite of what it became yeah so the fresh rap was written in a panic to, to fix that problem. <laughs> yeah, because they were like... Hey, never, no, Shout out to that post-production team, man, because I must have seen every cut of this movie at least 100 times each, and I never... That's the first time I've ever heard that story. Yeah. So uh, that's some post-production magic. What's, what's impressive about it is that the, it was like a, a little French waltz that we'd given them on the day. We yeah. actually didn't, I don't know why we gave them that. It's no, I think there was a panic. They were like, we just need a piece of music and it can't be an existing piece of music. And so I just like opened up our Dropbox. I was like, well, is this? Like- yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, but what's amazing, what's absolutely amazing is <laughs> despite it, the actors on the day like body popped and were like doing all these kind of moves yeah. that were not representative of the music they were we were playing them on the day no, at all. So it fitted perfectly. And that's why on set that's the the weird that is arguably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Because they were like street dancing to Yeah, a sort of a charming little waltz. It was very, very odd. Thing you never know. And unlike like seventies and eighties music where you can tell what they put the music in afterwards and they're like the, the rhythms 
totally off. <laughs> like, yeah. What are they dancing yeah. to? So, exactly. Yeah. So we got away with it. Yeah, I, I never would have known. Now that now that I do know, I'm going to start looking out for it. See if there's anything. Maybe, else. I maybe shouldn't have said that. No, no. Okay, <laughs> trivia, Tommy. That's golden trivia. Only kidding. And it's only a matter of time before there'll be sing along at Anna. So. You know, that's oh, that I, I would love that. I've been saying for a long time if we can have, if we can put a bouncing ball in the woods on screen, karaoke style. I went to a karaoke performance of like a, a like a sing along version of ABBA in a tent at a festival here in Scotland a few years back, and it's the most fun of Mamma Mia. And it's some of the most fun I've ever had. So I'd love, I'd love to do it. An Anna screening with the words on the screen. We yeah, did that, yeah. didn't we? Did we try it in um, Seaches at the film festival? And it was it I went over we great. It was like at two o'clock in the morning, and yeah, put, I think we did it one song or something once. But I'd love to just yeah, yeah put the whole film up there. I have to sit there and say that um, we interviewed Lloyd Kaufman, um, and we he goes oh because you know we did the Toxic Editor uh, at the beginning of the season which he quite liked. Um, and then we interviewed him and he goes, oh, he goes, so I go, well, we're doing Toxic Avenger, the musical, and we're mixing it with Anne and the Apocalypse. He goes, what is that? And I told him, he's like, oh, um, where would I find that? So we sent him a copy. He sent us an email like two weeks later. He goes, I love this. So Louis Hoffman <laughs> is now a huge fan of Anne and the Apocalypse. So. <laughs> Thanks for spreading the word, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. no problem. That's what happens. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you go. I want to thank you for joining us for the Literary License Podcast. Barry is going to tell us where you can buy Anne and the Apocalypse, the book, either in um, book form or in Kindle. So, Barry, do you want to let us know about Anne and the Apocalypse, the book? Uh, sure, yeah. It's um, available on Amazon in the UK. It's pretty much available on Amazon around the world. Um, and the same in the US. So that's probably the most global, uh, easiest place to go. Um, and then in the U.S., it's available in various uh, other outlets, bookstores, barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com, some other things like that. So uh, you can pretty much just Google it um, and you'll find the various outlets. But it is available for sure on Amazon in pretty much every country. And I want to thank Roddy Hart for joining us. Thank you, Roddy. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. And thank you, Tommy Riley. Oh, thanks, man. And um, for our listeners out there and people who are um, signed up to our newsletter, make sure you go to our website at www.llpodcast.com backslash soundtracks and you can see the playlist for Roddy Hart's um, independent music and Tommy Riley's solo artist as well. And you can also find um, Anna and the Apocalypse soundtrack on there, all available through Spotify. So make sure you share, like, and comment where possible. Stay tuned. Yeah.
Hello, welcome to the Jury License Podcast, and today we're discussing Anna and the Apocalypse, and today we have the cast and crew with us, and today we have our um, Sarah Swire with us. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm Cummings is with us. Hello, Malcolm. Hi there. John McPhail. Hello, John. Hi, guys. How you doing? Barry Waldo. Hello, Barry. Hey, cheers from London. And of course, we have a regular co-host with us, Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Great to see you. John Wilson. Happy holidays, folks. Joe Randazzo, who's always one of our favorite special guest co-hosts. Hello, Joe. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having hey. me on again. And myself, Keith Shago. So basically, I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown about Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a 2017 British Christmas zombie musical film, which is directed by John McPhail from a screenplay by Alan MacDonald and Ryan McHenry, based on McHenry's 2010 BAFTA-nominated short zombie musical. It stars an ensemble cast of largely unknown young talents, including Ella Hunt, Malcolm Cummings, Sarah Swire, Christopher Laveau, Mary Lou Sue, Ben Wiggins, Mark Benton, and Paul Kay. The film premiered at a fantastic fest on the 22nd of September, 2017. It was released in the United Kingdom by Vertical Releasing in the United States by Orion Pictures and the 30th of November, 2018, to generally positive reviews from critics condemning, com, condemning, sorry, commending the <laughs> numbers and characterization. <laughs> Words matter, Keith. We've Words been had. We've no. been had. <laughs> the hatchet joke. It's been a long day. Sorry. So, so I thought what we do start um, with, we'll talk to John about um, how he came on as being a director, and then we'll start bringing everyone in. So, John, um, I have to sit there and say I did see your film. Um, where do we go from here? I saw that a couple years ago. I saw that a uh, film. Um, where did I see that? I saw it at a film festival somewhere. I really enjoyed it. So how did you come on to Anna and the Apocalypse? Well, um, uh, where do we go from here? It was actually screening at a Glasgow Film Festival. Um, and uh, the um, two producers, uh, Nathan Alakaru and Nicholas Crum, were in the audience at the time. And uh, they thought my little romantic comedy coming-of-age film was like a, a bit of a, a hit. Um, was particularly with audiences and um, they'd been looking at horror directors and musical directors and they just hadn't found that right fit. Um, so, so yeah, so they invited me to come along and pitch for the film, which uh, like I read it and just loved it. I just loved what um, uh, Ryan and Alan had done, um, particularly with the kids and the characters. Um, I'm not the biggest musical fan, like um, South Park, Bigger, Longer, None Cuts, my favourite musical. So um, it was uh, a little bit. I was a little bit shaky on that end, but I watched loads. They gave me like a like a, a repertoire of like musicals I should watch, and um, I'm not as I'm not an uncultured swine anymore. Like I do, <laughs> I, I do enjoy a musical nowadays. I've like uh, I went to see like Wicked, and I saw like Legally Blonde as well. That's amazing. Like I like oh, the film, want, but yeah. I lot I love the musical. Um, so yeah, so that, that was uh, the way I came on board. Um, Aye, it was a it was a fun ride. Nice. And then um, Sarah, you were cast as well in and in the apocalypse. How did you yes. become cast in the film? Uh, the the ye old method of auditioning um, over and over <laughs> again. 
And then eventually it was whittled down and I was selected amongst the hordes of people. <laughs> how you, had you always went out to be staff or were you, were you just kind of trying any of the, the roles that were available? Because I, um, I think personality, just meeting you, personality, you fit staff. Like you have perfectly. such a great, yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, I mean, at the time, and, and I guess still currently, uh, I don't have the privilege of selecting the roles I would like. So I, I feel they were, I was, I was uh, gifted the opportunity to audition for the role of Steph and uh, took it in the direction that I saw fit. Nice. Um, and uh, it was fit enough that uh, I ended up getting a part in the film, which was fantastic. I'm still, still very grateful. <laughs> I mean, she's she's very very modest. Like we we saw like our um uh, um it was like a self tape she'd sent, and then we just loved it. It was funny because I bumped into Sarah um, at the same time. I uh, went to see Marley, uh, Marley Sue, who plays Lisa uh, up in Dundee Rep at a theatre. Um, but we got uh, Sarah because Sarah was in Canada at the time. Uh, we'd done like a video call, and like like we were all sitting, and we were just all absolutely blown away by her. Like um, she was like your staff, like that. Um, it was uh, it was incredible. Well, she was incredible. Uh, she, she was even sang over over Skype at us. We we just loved her. <laughs> that was the selling point right there. <laughs> Being able to sing over a video. <laughs> well, I think. Uh, I think you should probably also see um, Roddy Hart's um, new video that she's done with her brother on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you saw it! It's excellent. Thank you very much. That uh, I like. I'm so so glad that uh, that's how it turned out, and that's what we did with our imaginations over the course of lockdown. And I'm so glad that I was able to give Roddy a piece of art that he had no idea what to do with. And now it's on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course we have Malcolm Cummings with us who um, plays the part of John and you were late in coming into the cast. So how was your auditioning process? Always, always late. Um, (laughs) Great method in that respect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um yeah it was well i was actually so i was um uh training i was um studying acting at the uh royal conservatoire of scotland in glasgow and um we got an email sent through um inviting some of us to audition for this zombie high school musical set at christmas um and I was like, it's two years into my actor training. And if we were going to do the film, we would miss this whole Shakespeare section. And I was like, <laughs> I'm training to be a classical actor, darling. I'm going to a zombie film. No. But like this one, we all thought at one point, we were oh, all man. like, I'll never do screen. I'm a stage actor. We're like 18. <laughs> what the hell? Um, and uh, yeah, and, I, and then it got to the end of the weekend and I thought, oh, well, we've been sent this script and stuff. I'm going to read it and have a look at it. And then I started reading it and immediately thought, oh no, why have I waited all weekend? This is so great. I have to do this job. Um, and then, yeah, so for me, it was kind of pretty quick from finding out about it to um, ending up. It was, uh, John sent me a photo of uh, Malcolm in the auditioning process and was like, do you know this guy? Do you like this guy? <laughs> and I was like, 
I was like, I don't have no idea who this boy is. He looks really friendly from what my eyes can see. <laughs> then he was like, I think he's going to be John. He's funny. He's just got it. He's just the right energy. And I'm like, you, from what I can tell from his kind <coughs> eyes, I would say the same thing. <laughs> was, for, um, for context as well, we both studied at the same school. Sarah studied at RCS in Glasgow as well. So it wasn't like completely John <laughs> just going like, hey, you heard of this guy? <laughs> Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, like Malcolm, it was funny because we just couldn't find the right fit for John, and we cast everybody else. And I think it was the July, and by the time that we saw Malcolm, it was like it was November, um, and we were looking to start like rehearsals in the December. And um, uh, Malcolm, like I remember seeing his, his audition tape, and it was it was just perfect. And like the one thing was like we would just wanted them to be able to sing. Like, like, if he could just sing, that was, like, yeah, it was a part was his. And, like, he'd walked into the audition room, like, with this big, stupid orange jacket on, like, and, like, <laughs> opened up his jacket, and he's wearing, like, a Ghostbusters jumper. Ghostbusters is my favourite film of all time. And yes. like, my finger's like this behind the, the, the chair, like, please sing, please, can you sing, please? And he opened up his mouth, and he could sing, and I was like, that's it. He walked out of the room, and I was like, yes! Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know behind the curtain, I had somebody else. I was just moving my mouth. <laughs> Pull the, the serenade. Never been find out. Pull the serenade. Uh, it was me the whole time. <laughs> I can do a good impression of you. No, I can't. <laughs> God, I want to hear that. <laughs> No, I truly I cannot. I'm sorry. I thought there was a pause expecting something to happen. No. I have to admit that um, watching Anna, I kind of fell upon it because it was on Sky Movies in the UK. And I thought, oh, what's this? Okay. Okay. I got half an hour. And I'll watch it. Worst comes up, worst I go to bed. And I found myself like glued to it for an hour and a half. And then, yeah, I become a little bit fanatic about it. I find myself watching it once a week now, which is my, yeah, my- he does too. He started texting me on WhatsApp. He goes, Vic, he goes, you got to check out this musical. You're gonna love it, you know. And I've already watched it several times too because I mean, I'm not really a musical person, but I mean, it was just like everything just seemed to come together for this. The music, yeah. the, the all the simpatico you all guys had together. I mean, and you were a riot, Sarah. I mean, you're one of my favorites out of the whole thing. And Malcolm, you were great. <laughs> you yeah. were just great. <laughs> I remember you for your Christmas sweater forever. <laughs> yeah. I I actually came up across the trailer and it was funny because my friend had reminded me because he and I are like total movie buffs. So he was like, you have to see this movie. You have to see this movie. And I'm like, where have I heard this movie? And I was like, wait, I remember sending this to you. And so he had saw it before me. And so then he sat down and watched it with me again. And I, I mean, you go from this roller coaster of emotions of laughing and crying and laughing and crying. And I was like, what did you do to me? You know, um, but I just remember like saying my traditional, you know, holiday, you know, movies aren't typical. Like, you know, it's not, you know, once, uh, it's a wonderful life or 34th minor more like Black Christmas. And to get like a gym like this, that is an actual musical horror comedy romance. Like it's such a, it's such a, um, 
fun movie to watch, you know, but it's also heartbreaking too. So it's like each it's one like of- West Side Story meets The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, you know, um, no, no little darling is, is spared in this one, you know, well, there are a few actually, a few darlings are spared. It's just um, awesome. The musical yeah. score is great. Yeah, you know, my grandson's starting to like it, you know, because it's a music. He's eight, and he probably shouldn't be watching zombies. I know, but because it's a musical, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he got he likes the score and stuff. He, it, it really it's kind of gonna be probably a staple for Christmas in our house. Oh, great! Yeah. Same, same, probably yeah, same, same here. here. I had heard about it for a couple of years, and I hadn't seen it. And then la- um, I had to do this podcast. So last night I was. Like, all right, it's on Amazon Prime. Let me check it out. And yeah, it's so, so funny and so well done. That I, I can't believe I hadn't watched it sooner. Neither. Um, it's it, it is it is right up my alley. It's my 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 style of humor. At least, uh, you know, once all the uh, once the shit hits the fan, about uh, 20, 20, 25 minutes in, uh, and then it was just nonstop the rest of the way, and I really loved it. I think that's great to hear, and it's also nice to hear that like you know, the word of mouth thing is still very much the, the vehicle in which this movie continues to have life. And that it's one of those things of your friend being like, oh my God, yeah. you need to watch this film. Let's watch this film this afternoon. It's weird. You'll love it. Like that's yeah. what the legacy of this film should have always been and is becoming like the cult film that we hoped it would be. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> and I think it, 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 does, it does totally mirror the the sort of way that we talked about it as a, as a, as a project that interested yeah. us as well if it's something that you look at and on the face of it it's saying that it's going to do all of these all of these things and you look at it a bit skeptically and go ah, are you you know trying to smash too many genres together here is this gonna like just be a dis- disjointed weird thing but as yeah. soon as as <laughs> soon as you went into it that you know the script that they produce and I mean, at that point, I was um, listening to the songs as I was reading the script for the first time, which was such a cool position to be in. And then the songs were getting ahead and like some of the like Soldier of War was playing as I was reading. I was like, man, that's John's song. That sounds like a tune. Oh, he's, oh, yeah, he's going to really turn it around. He's going to. OK, yep. He's not singing. He's not singing that one. <laughs> and that's one of the things that really that, that, that really struck me last night is that watching it. I thought for a fact, like, okay, I see where this is going. John and Anna are going to end up and are going to end up together in the end. Yeah. Yeah, the douchebag's gonna get killed. Wait, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. Oh shit. That's I mean, it does, what's interesting too is it does it does follow some of that, especially zombie movies. Those tropes of it's not you know it's not always a Hollywood ending as we as that's we right. you know, refer in that, and it kind of you for you give that foreboding in the beginning of the yeah. film, and there's something about that you're reminded at the end. You're like, oh right, wait, I'm still watching. A zombie movie like i'm watching a zombie movie because that's how most zombie movies end with a mm. with this sort of like gotta keep rallying on but we've lost them along the way and i think that's such a especially around this unfortunately this time where it's kind of going on with the world with the pandemic and things like that you know people need senses of hope and so you definitely leave that at the end of this film that there's a sense of hope of everything that's going on in the world so well i think anna's the Arbinger of COVID, isn't it? I mean, like, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of kind of weird because it's like you're watching it and they're going, you know, make sure you wash your hands. And then like, <laughs> like, this is like two years before this. This is kind of a yeah. <laughs> well, when she turns off the radio too, and they're talking yeah, about this. So is awesome. <laughs> I 
know. That's I was gonna say when she when they're listening to the radio in the car and it's just like then they turn it off. It's like yeah. God, I go that seems like so twenty twenty, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the thing I was thinking last night too when watching it. Uh, I, I was uh, watching it with my roommate and I was like, oh yeah, I got I got to remember to just be like, oh Keith, yeah, nice choice for twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love there to say that just before um, COVID, um, the podcast we were doing Edgar Allan Poe for season three. And yeah. of course, we started off September doing like Mask of the Red Death and all these. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, and then March <laughs> happened. It's like, oh, we start changing our things. Yeah. So. But, um, John, what I have to also uh, admire also with the direction of this film is that I watched Zombie the Musical, the short film, of course, and how you were able to give Anna a look of your own, but still incorporate that kind of feel that um, that Zombie the Musical had and be able to incorporate that the whole feeling of the, the short and with your own feature film, considering that, you know, you're two different eyes and two different visions. But I thought it was, I thought that they go very, very well together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as far as feeling, mood, the way it's filmed and all the other stuff. Um, did you use... Um, did you use that as a template, or did your did your visions just tend to mesh? Well, I think that like it's it's really funny. Like like me and Ryan, we never actually met each other, but you know, it was we were always like sort of like gravitating in the same kind of circles. Um, and like uh, I've said this like so many times, if if I met the guy, it would have been best mates. Like literally, like you know, like we were just like the into the same things, loved the same movies, the same kind of comedy. Um, but also, like, you know, um, uh, Ryan Clackery, who was my designer, uh, was a designer on uh, Zombie Musical. Like, him and Ryan were, like, best friends from, like, back home. Um, so, you know, there's, like, you know, a lot of, like, the, the design aspect of it. Um, you know, like, I, you know, I, I had, you know, Clack uh, beside me the entire, entire way, um, which was brilliant to get to work with someone who was, you know, you know not only worked with Ryan, uh, on the short that was his like best friend so there was like there was lots of stuff in there that you know we wanted to pay homage to to with the short um you know um and you know the script itself like as i said i i, I fell in love with the script as soon as i read it like, you know as i said the it's the same it's my kind of humor i was reading it and my best mate was with me beside me and i was like dude i feel like i could have wrote this like it's like it's, it's everything that i would want in a movie everything you know that i find funny so you know like i always feel like i'm extremely extremely lucky to have had this land in my lap um and to be able to make this um and make it with with people who you know were so close to the short as well because um, Nicholas, Nicholas Crumb, he worked on the short, and of course, Nathan Alakaru produced it and won a, a new talent BAFTA for producing it. Um, so, there's, as I said, there's, there's a lot of aspects of the, the short itself that, you know, that we wanted to bring along with it. Um, uh, so, so, yeah. Um, so, I think it was like a mixture of both of, you know, having that same kind of comedy and us consciously saying, no, we want to keep this and we want to keep that. Um, so, yeah. Nice. And Sarah, you got to actually choreograph it as well. Yes. And I have to commend you on your hairography that went on in um, the Happy Ending sequence. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, if if I die and that's the one thing that gets... 
remembered and said and like there's like an homage video secrets at some award ceremony and it's just a boomerang of the hair going back and forth for three minutes and then sweeping orchestra music behind it um thank you very much i'm really glad that you like the choreography (laughs) well i have to sit there and say what's impressive about the choreography that it fits within the characters because normally what you get if i think that and i have to sit there and say i think this helps that being an independent and also a um a uk film or a scottish film i think this probably what helped that that what we get is it seems like an organic dance sequences which are really hard to do They're not overproduced. And what what you tend to get with um, like American musicals is they tend to overproduce the, so you'll get like normal people and all of a sudden it's like, you know, they got, you know, they're sashaying across the screen. Yeah, I just think that's up to like the choreographer's agenda, right? Like I, and how someone goes about constructing movement and, and threading together sequences of movement. But most importantly, how you communicate those complex sequences of movement and those moving tableaus to people. And most of the people that I've worked with up until this point, really in my career, have been people without a foundation in dancing or movement background. And that could be something as simple as literally playing sports and having some concept of how to physically throw yourself around and how to conduct yourself around moving bodies. So when you work with people who've never really been told how to use their bodies before. And then suddenly you're telling them how to use them. Like it's a very delicate process um, because that's theirs. (laughs) They've always had this thing. And now you're telling them to do something with it that feels counterintuitive or uh, trans, you know, transparent or exposing. So I think first and foremost with this film is just like figure out who these people are, make new best friends, think, figure out what happens, um, in their bodies and then design movement for them that makes them happiest and therefore will make the demonstration of their characters um, brighter and shinier and and clearer for the, for the script. But yeah, I think that some people come in wanting with shapes in their heads and I kind of like to make sure that I have everybody in the space to know how they flow. And then we work from there. There's also just something about like, it kind of feels like almost like a mix of martial arts too, especially later on in the film when they are, they have these sequences that they're, you know, they're in the tree forest or in that, like they're, they're in these areas, like the bowling alley, like that whole, there is a, you watch it. Like, I think I, after the third time I watch it, I'm like, this feels more like a dance than it does an actual combat. <laughs> and well, I, and I love that. I love that those sequences have that, that feel because it's the flow of the music and it's easy like I think from a conceptual standpoint, like it's easy for someone to say, I'm just going to make it this way and leave this out. Right. You, mm. there's a way, there's such a way that this film combines the flow of that, the the dance and the music and the martial arts. Well, we also That's had a, a fight choreographer named nice. Emma Claire Brightland, who was my, ended up being my roommate for two years because we got along that well. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, she's incredible. So all the fight sequences that you see in the film are designed and choreographed by her and all the dance sequences you see in the film are designed and choreographed by me. Sometimes they're together at the same time. And when you see that happen, then we were working together. (laughs) Magic. Exactly. Like Emma Clare was um, in my very first short film. Um, I've worked with Emma Clare since like 2011. Um, so it's um, she's uh, she's incredible. She's a she's a wonderful actress in her own at her own. Um, she's such a good fight choreographer as well. 
Yeah, I have to say it's very impressive because it actually it feels nice to actually see people in a musical look authentic and move within within the confines of the story because that, yeah. that you don't normally as I said before you don't normally get that you normally get like you know great I think big, that that's like, what dance should be and all performance should be and movement should be and we just get kind of get you know shunted into these institutions and old ways of doing things that people decide is the best and the righteous and the most holy way to perform. And like, it's like, no, these things have to move and shift. And if all you're doing is recreating life, then don't you want to recreate life as authentically as possible? And if that means Ella kicking up a weird leg in a graveyard or Malcolm, just like throwing himself on the ground for no reason, (laughs) (laughs) then absolutely. We used to, our warm ups. Malcolm brought, uh nerf guns yeah. to like the first day <laughs> so instead of doing any like physical warm-ups we would just go into the gymnasium and throw down like high like crash mats like the those awesome crash mats from like high school and like nice. yeah. Mats, yeah. yes and like and just throw it and like listen yeah. to like classic rock and have like slow motion nerf gun fights and that was our warm-up and it was yeah, we just <laughs> ran around the gym for the longest time that's that's like totally the uh that's the building blocks of the chemistry that i see in the film between you all because that's the other thing that's very special about this because i've i've seen ensemble films where there is still there's disconnects between some of the characters but it doesn't feel that way with any of you all of you feel like a family and that's i mean and it's extremely important for this type of a film because you want people to walk away with that sense of loss if someone does die not oh oh i forgot that person was even there or oh they didn't really have the chemistry like you feel the chemistry between all of you and that's such it's it's critical for this type of a film thanks to john and everyone (laughs) Yeah, um, I was I was so so lucky, like um, to be able to get a cast like this that did actually be able to throw themselves in, and like they see watching them, like I like my office was like just off of one of like the, the corridors, and I, like I would be like I'd hear like screaming and shouting, and I'd like be like what's going on, and I'd walk out, and there they all are like carrying on out in like the hallways, acting like they're still at high school, and I remember mm-hmm. at one point. Uh, like the girls are all standing outside their dressing room and they're like, what is it, what is it? And they're like, they stole all our shawls and I've went in and they took all the, the, the boys have got all the, the, the throws and they've been making forts. And we were like, making we're a ma- fort. <laughs> <laughs> we, were ma- so, we, look, so- we had to make a fort and just because, like we were redressing the balance, okay? Just because it's a boys' dressing room and a girls' dressing room doesn't mean that we don't like blankets and, and nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Someone would say John came out like savage and was like, "What is going on out here?" <laughs> I did, it was noticeable actually. We did a li- we did a bit of um, rehearsal time before Christmas, and when we came back after Christmas to shoot in the in the school base thing that we were shooting, uh, our green room area had moved down beyond another set of double doors from all the production offices. <laughs> It was like a little bit further away, and I'd like to think that part of that was so they couldn't hear our nonsense. <laughs> the nerf, the nerf offs. <laughs> um, I think it also I, should be. Sorry. sorry. No, 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 you go, Keith. Uh, okay, I, I think it also showed that during the outdoor sequences, everyone was freezing to death except for Malcolm, who basically had more layers than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know Malcolm was like, I'm wearing this weather throughout the duration of the film. <laughs> yeah. It was the first couple of days when we were shooting the Hollywood ending, no, uh, yeah, Hollywood ending dance sequence. 
Um, I was not thankful for having so many layers on. It was so warm. <laughs> it was horrendous. And then the whole rest of the time, I was so grateful. <laughs> uh, I mean, I found another thing that's quite interesting is um, Malcolm Adair portrayal of John. Um, there's such a sweetness about him that you really be able to portray. And I, I think it's very difficult to be, portray that that sweetness without but with a strength to it. And I think that you do that very, very well. Because normally what you do get with the sweet guy, whether it's, you know, whether it's a John Cryer from Pretty in Pink or something like that, you kind of get like a geeky gawky kind of person that's really hard to relate to. Where your portrayal has the sweet, and there's a a geekiness to it, but there's an endearing geekiness to it that basically your heart goes out to. So when the, you know, spoiler alert people, but um, when you're, (laughs) When your character finally finds its demise, I think it almost tears the heart out of the audience, and that, oh, yeah. that and I think that comes down to your betrayal, actually. You didn't expect oh. him to die, though. You're kind of like rooting for the underdog. It's like, oh, is yeah. she gonna notice him? Other than the best friend thing going on, that's always like the kiss of death, the best friend thing. So. It's like when you're watching the movie and you never want to be that person that actually talks during the movie. But I was that person who was like, no, and I was like, oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> My roommate also let out an audible, oh no, when, when, yeah. when he swung around. So yeah, that that was exactly the reaction. So did I. I was in the cinema. I had no idea. I was. I was, so, I was like, what? I. There's like 30 minutes of film Matt, left Matt, here. I like what? getting the Oscar for playing the best boy next door uh, archetype <laughs> ever in the history of movies. Yeah, totally deserve that Oscar. Uh, no, I, I think it was. It was one of those things that was so so carefully done and so prevalent in the writing that there was. Because there was such a strength in 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 Steph's character, and Sarah brought that out so well, and Anna was so driven as a character, and it was kind of nice to see this supporting role, where you know these things these things didn't necessarily work out um, as John wanted. You know, he is this this best friend who wants it to be something more. He finds out that it's not, but in those moments, the he, they weren't fighting against that. They were learning who, they, you know, they were learning about themselves, learning about themselves in these tough emotional moments and then moving on from it in that. So in that sort of coming of age side of the film, I think it was just sort of really well, really well written and really um, kind of authentically done and probably in, in large part helped by Alan McDonald, um, the um, writer, one of the writers, was a school teacher um you know he taught in high school so these these young characters he was he was writing he he knew them he knew that that world and he knew what they were you know being driven by and living and dying on and um and uh yeah so it was it it was it was it was a very easy job, really. <laughs> I will say that it did not stop um, Malcolm from being quite the sex symbol because we went to do our first film festival, um, to, uh, Fantastic Fest. Uh, it was our first stop in Austin, Texas. We did a separate screening for 
a group of Austin, four different high schools in Austin. Oh, God. <laughs> and, uh, and we brought the students, uh, all the film students and everybody in. And I'll never forget walking out into the lobby because we were going to do a poster signing session and some stuff afterwards. And, you know, you have Ben Wiggins, who plays the heartthrob Nick. And you've got Christopher Laveau, who's a really handsome guy as well. And you, you got um, Malcolm, who's been playing this kind of, you know, soft boy next door character. And I mean, these girls just went crazy for it. They just, I mean, so whatever you did, Malcolm, it's working. I, I'm, I would kind of recommend maybe, you know, just use that every day. <laughs> was, it, was it triggering for you? Did you feel like the zombies were coming at you again? You go, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, uh, so I to say too, there's that scene that follows that between you and Ella, like is such a powerful scene because it is this moment to where, you very, I very well thought, oh wait, maybe maybe Anna isn't the one that's going to be the one who ends in this film because you see as as Malcolm ends up you know getting killed, you kind of go, now anything is off the or off the board, right? Anyone could die in this film, and it kind of is making that note clear. And you literally have this moment where you come in and you save her, and like to me that was like such a powerful moment after like witnessing something that just hurts. You're like. You just saved her. That's amazing. You know, like, so that was really cool. I love that. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it was just a, it was it was it was a pretty pretty cool way to go as far as uh, as far as uh, in, in movie deaths go. You know, if you if you're looking yeah. through someone and see, oh, I'm going to die in this, you're like, well, oh, that's that's all right. It's uh, all my <laughs> friends, the girlfriend, my girlfriends that watch it. They're like, I'm going to watch Anna and the Apocalypse now, finally. Sorry, I haven't gotten around to it. I'm going to watch it now. And I'm like, all right, great. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then eventually, like, oh, my God, John's dead. And, like, (laughs) 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 that's always, always a response. Yeah, I mean, you know, all I'm saying is maybe – John's so great, you know. Maybe yeah. they shouldn't have been. Yeah, they shouldn't have been it's, killing him. Maybe they've taken a great franchise right off the table. Seven <laughs> films. About John, nothing after the but John. Three are wandering yeah. around the school now, you know, helping out. <laughs> John after the apocalypse. <laughs> you know, um, five years down the line, we use CGI. We age me down. We do yeah. a prequel film. <laughs> Nobody wanted it. We do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, am I really the only one that wants to see John and Nick kind of hook up? And I guess it'd have to be a prequel, or maybe it's an afterlife. <laughs> no. Sarah, <laughs> you're not in on that. No. No, I want the I want the sequel to happen. This oh, is yeah, of course a great you idea. Do. Yeah. 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 I think there needs to be a sequel. I um, no, if it does, it doesn't have to. Just not kill something that's good. Okay. <laughs> and he can he can always bring Malcolm back in the sequel. Rob Zombie does it with his wife time exactly. after time after time. Exactly. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure exactly. out something. We'll dress him in white. He'll be one of those, you know, yeah. ghost riding, a, riding a magical horse in a dream sequence. Yeah, exactly. It'll fit perfectly. <laughs> I think that they I think that they should try to bring him back from the dead that like but like it's not it's like imperfect so it has to come with some like hijinks right like you can't perfectly bring something back from the dead so what has what's lost he's still alive but he's still decomposing something constantly trying to stick his arm back on you could be part of the apocalypse meets warm bodies (laughs) 
<laughs> or bodies brought a zombie back. Oh yeah, that's true. True. That's true. We could. His we could love saved. Pay, pay his love saved him. Pet <laughs> cemetery. Yeah. Pet cemetery. Could... The apocalypse. Uh, the, the musical. We could do that. Very true. <laughs> Alan had a dream apparently the other week that we all went to like a a convention, like a Comic Con esque convention, and then we got abducted by the fans who were trying to create a sequel for the Anna and the Apocalypse movie. <laughs> There you go. That's a brilliant oh. sequel. Like, that's very meta. I mean, that would be kind of I amazing. Know. Yeah. yeah. They bring you to a location and everything is like staged the way the film was. It'd be like this creepy like remake of, oh yeah, that'd be kind of amazing. That's a Thanks. brilliant idea. <laughs> I do worry about knowing the, knowing the level of nonsense that we now go into when we're all together. It's like, if we were at that point at the start of filming, I'm not sure. <laughs> Ten here having this conversation with you now. I don't know if we'd have gone across the line. <laughs> we went to a... What's that, sorry? How long were you all filming? 28 days. 28 days, 28 days um... later. <laughs> <laughs> Even getting a zombie reference into, into how long. <laughs> Five weeks. I asked it to say, Malcolm, you also had the most trickiest lyrics in the song Happy Ending that anyone else had in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was uh, very, very interesting to um, sort of half, half rap in a Scottish accent. I thought that would be, yeah, how, uh, how people well, would uh, take to that. Yeah, the, I, I mean, this, this isn't a Disney for, uh, for like, a Scottish Glaswegian <laughs> audience. That's a real, like everyone on set was sort of looking at looking at that rhyme. Like, yeah, that's we like this a lot. This is that's our tagline. That's very. That's Disney. Disney. That's Disney. Disney. Well, you got to Ryan McConaughey as well, which is quite tricky. So, <laughs> thanks, thanks to um, Roddy yeah. and Tommy, some brilliant music. Which I have to sit there and say, and now it seems funny that now they're writing for Animaniacs now. So I've actually watched quite a few of those episodes at the moment. So, so, so they would end up working up for Disney with Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're honestly, we're just so we're just so proud of them. Like we're so chuffed, like the fact that they've been doing that, um, and they themselves are just like they just love it. They, um, you know, because they had they had never scored a film before. They'd never done a musical before. Like this was the, the, the dipping their toes in. I mean, they're musicians in their own right, and they're wonderful musicians. Um, it's just like you know the just of how how they've taken off and how they've taken to it as well. It's just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I said they say the music is so fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's. And I think we actually interviewed um, Barry and I actually interviewed um, Roddy and Tony. Was it last week? I think. Yeah. Um, and um, I sit there and say what I like about them is that there's this kind of Stephen Stephen Sondheim, Alan Menken, Tim Rice, <laughs> Howard Ashman thing. But there's like this amalgamation, but they're but yet they're their own style at the same yeah. time. And anyone, anyone mine. can write a fish rap. I mean, you got to change that. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie and Tommy oh. were my, um, they were my introduction to Anna and the Apocalypse after I met, you know, Nason and Nick on the train up to Scotland. Uh, Nason said, come on in and, and listen to some music. And I was like, okay. And they had me in the studio and Ronnie and Tommy were there. And at that point, you know, I don't think the, the film was being cast at that point. 
And Roddy and Tommy had sung every song in their own voice. And we were laughing about that <laughs> because, you know, they literally played songs and they kept saying, no, no, Barry, this is going to change because it's going to go like this. And they would oh, stop yeah, the music and you know, perform it live in the room. And uh, that was well before, you know, shooting the film. Those guys are so immensely talented. It just gives me chills to mm-hmm. say their name. Where are those recordings? Can we hear them? I know. That would be amazing. Uh, I, I, I have them. They were saying they were saying they are interviews. You have them on your phone still? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've got them, them on this laptop. laptop. Oh, they do the male parts, the female parts, yeah. the binary that's what i got said that's what i was listening to when i read the script at first it was just like was those guys, yeah those guys singing all the tunes <laughs> uh, it's funny. well they were saying that they hope they never see the light of day those demos <laughs> <laughs> good yeah, no yeah it's kind of my hope that this does become something like a Rocky Horror, like on stage. I would love for fans to really get behind this. And like, you know, that there's a line where um, Anna, about the C word, <laughs> you know, the yeah. C word, oh, you are the C word, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I love like, but I could see something like kind of evolving from this because the songs are very memorable. And I could see fans wanting to be in an audience and be a part of something like that. That's your dream. That is the dream. But you do sing alongs here in London quite frequently at the Prince Charles Cinema here. So, oh, very cool. It's always a chance. Yeah, they do. Um, they they kind of cover. I think they're doing like well before we were even doing sing along a little shop of horrors, the movie version. So I think we did one. one. Um, I think we did it. Didn't we do it in Sieges, guys? I mean, we did one where we actually. Uh, gave the print to the film festival, and it has the lyrics on the bottom of the screen. And was that um, in Edinburgh? It, yeah, maybe it was Edinburgh. It, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely know that we did it because it was crazy wild. I mean, we had everyone singing along. We had, you know, the um, particularly Soldier War, you know, Ben's number and Anthem. People were up out of their seats, just like, you know, um, you know, mock slain zombies, <laughs> mock slain their friends sitting next to them in the theaters and stuff. And yeah, it, it, it's so ripe and perfect for it. I hope you're right. That's you're cool. That's very cool. That would be amazing. I have to say, and you know, this is no disrespect, but I'm, you kind of get used to watching musicals and then you see the people singing it live and you don't normally get a very good match per se. But when I saw some of you at the, some of the conventions that you did and you actually get up and start singing and you actually voices all match, I thought that was really impressive. That really It's impressive. because we were trained for the theater. <laughs> 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 oh my god that's amazing <laughs> good to be you honest know. <laughs> and we used to do this every night every night <laughs> you guys have to do it over so and over and over again i mean even as late as um october of 2018 i mean we you know was that two months before the film actually got released um, we had invited to do Elsie Fest in Central Park, <laughs> New York, um, you know, Darren Chris's uh, event with Broadway. And so um, it was such an amazing weekend, wasn't it? I mean, I've never experienced so anything like that before in my life. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it was unbelievable because everybody I've never I, I, honestly, we've been at that point traveling on the junket for a year and a half doing film festivals, um, you know, doing so many things, doing three different cuts of the movie. <laughs> John, don't start. <laughs> uh, He's Mark like, what? Mark made a joke the other day. We're still only soft locked. Yeah, <laughs> we're still soft locked. And uh, um, 
I have never seen the cast so nervous in my entire life than the 10 minutes behind stage before you went on at LC Fest in Central Park Live. I mean, I, I had never seen you guys sweat. Everybody, I mean, it was really hot. Okay, it was summer in, you know, in New York. Well, it was hot in New York, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you guys can tell it better than I can, but I, I loved watching that moment. I mean, it was almost like watching you guys, um, God, I don't know, it come of age in musical theater right there in New York in Central Park. I mean, what a dream from Port Glasgow shooting this film, you know. Well, when and, you say it like that, <laughs> crazy. It was yeah, magical, I, it was. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's this thing of, of sort of, expectation and stuff and it's so it, it's so cool to hear you guys saying like you'd love to you, you see it continue to grow and the idea of this cult following and stuff and the thing is, is like I, when I got that I, w- I wasn't 100% sure it was even really a, a paid job if this was going to be like equity rates or anything when I auditioned I was just like <laughs> I just sick. I love this thing this is so cool I want to do it and then we were there and we're making this film and at that point it's not got you know all of its distribution deals and everything so you're you're there in in the cold of port glasgow in february shivering pretending to see a zombie in the distance and be scared of them and and yeah. and then and people are asking you hey so you're working on this film when's it going to come out and you're like i maybe never i hope it comes <laughs> out i think it's going to be good but we don't know what it's i don't know i don't know sometime maybe but i just met these crazy guys named chris and ben they're super funny yeah. <laughs> and then yeah and then it's like we went out and we went out to uh, i think what like when we went to fantastic fest that was the first time that like I, we saw the film for the first time in a room full of uh, of of patrons of this film festival and they and everyone and they were all really excited for it and we were just yeah. sitting in amongst this audience watching everything for the first time going like you know, I didn't know what happened at the end of the film. Hey, I don't, if I'm not in it, I don't need to read it. So, you know, <laughs> I'm watching the end of this thing. Like, yeah, I, we're like, going, Whoa! what's going to happen? You're like, I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then we had that mad weekend. And then as Barry said, it just kind of carried on. And, um, and then we got to go, um, some of us were in, um, in Sitches um, outside Barcelona, <laughs> and then uh, and then we're in New York. <laughs> yeah, Sitges was New York less in Central Park performing with the best. We were in Central Park, and 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 we're sharing the stage with all of these like full on legit Broadway performers. Um, I, like be more chill and stuff. We were doing our uh, our sound so check at the same time as then, and they're just unbelievably good. So it was just it's kind of weird to go from from that moment and then be in this in a situation like that which you've never really like considered like it was it definitely wasn't something that I thought was uh was gonna be on the docket yet like it was like North now I thought maybe in three more years this <laughs> yeah. five more years now okay like, you know, it, yeah you don't you don't know if you're feeling. gonna do films <laughs> if you're gonna do things and then and then yeah you just you you suddenly you get this opportunity to to go and share something and be part of things like that. It's just been, it's been Amazing such a gift. You guys fall back into character. I mean, at that point it'd been what, 18 months since you played those characters. And then Sarah, I mean, in, in like 
10 minutes or less choreographed the number that you were going to perform on stage. And I remember, you know, we were coordinating the times and the going up on stage and everything. And I kind of remember Sarah looking at me like, okay, Barry, get the hell out of the way because I have 10 minutes to teach everybody else what we're going to do, where they're going to stand. We're going to be bumping to each other all over this stage in front of all of New York. And it's going to be really embarrassing. So just go away. I was like, okay. I had someone recently say that I am deceptively silly and that they're waiting for the day where I snap. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. No, yeah, it was just a wonderful time. And I'm so glad that we got to, you know, perform again because that's what we do best. And we're all uh, just to be able to like go up there and like per- celebrate it and perform it. Like not even for us as a cast, but like for John and for Nason and for Nick and for Charlotte and for you know, all of you guys, this like intelligent creative team that created this monster that we were able to be, you know, people to help conduct your vision, but it's your idea to be able to give you that performance is like, yeah, we're here we're in New York. That was what felt great. Like giving back to the fam. It's a good feeling. I think it's also important to note that um, when, you know, this is a credit to John putting you guys together and, and the camaraderie that you all had together and the closeness that you, the friendships that you formed, that that one sequence where um, Marisu, you know, they show the the film footage on the television set when you're trying to get the oh, keys. Yeah. And that was actually authentic. That wasn't actually filmed for the movie. That John, didn't you film that? Well, they were just playing around and stuff. Offset. Yeah, so like that, that like little bit of like video was literally um, one of one of it was like behind the scenes from like uh, when when Marley when Marley licks like Ella's face. That's like the two and the two of them are laughing and carry on. That's them uh, practicing Hollywood ending. Like you know, um, uh, you know the guys all just sort of like jumping about. John getting shot with a Nerf gun was them in the you know in their dressing room. You know, like like those little bits of footage was was real you know like uh, and as i said well uh was <clears throat> we were all very lucky as i said to you know <laughs> able to, you know have a cast that can come together like that because you know you know what it's like it's it's you know young actors and you know like this you know it's a job full of egos and things like that but there was no egos like none whatsoever like you literally they were all the moment that they met they were best friends and until now we've got a WhatsApp group. I mean, how long's that been running for? Oh um, God! <laughs> uh, like, it's probably like, blowing up right now. Have you checked it? <laughs> if, if, if anything happens in the world, the first place I like I find out about it is in that WhatsApp group. Like yeah. literally, and it's like it's all of us. Anytime we have any <sighs> nonsense or anything that's happening, like it goes straight in there, and that's just how close we all are. Um, and I as I said. Friends. <laughs> I, I love yeah. that. I mean, because that's like the to me. It, I think fans love the movie, but they love knowing that that's what's part of the magic of what created this this movie is that how you all got along together, how you all worked together. It also gives them a little bit of hope that oh, maybe maybe something will come again in the future because part of it is when fans are endeared to something and then all of a sudden the cast hates each other, so they're never going to get that moment of like coming back together again, doing something. And so it's like to know that a cast is a family that a crew is a family to fans. It's a, it's, it's a big thing. Cause it means that we're going to see more. We're going to know, we're going to hear more from all of them and we're going to, we're going to continue to have this, this dream and live in this dream together. So it's kind of cool. The energy did shine through. You could tell that you guys had something going on 
and your performances and it did come through on the screen. You, you just knew that you guys probably were having a good time, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, you got along so well, like I said, the energy was just overwhelming. <clears throat> I mean, really great performance and you guys just had a great, uh, you had a great uh, foundation to build upon. On, on well, that. we did make a making of the making of. Technically, we didn't bring it up because um, I think you'll find Keith asked about the footage that was in that scene. And some of that footage did, did yeah, was, was just us mucking around. And some of that footage was technically us mucking around making a making of the making of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were... <laughs> poor, like, poor Connor. So the guy, like, so Tommy Riley's brother, Connor, he's a filmmaker. And we got him. him on board and we were like, right, Connor get out and like just you know follow the cast about you know and, and just get as much footage and interviews and stuff like that as possible and poor connor like who, who had a hard enough job you know to you know wrangling all this stuff together and trying to get a schedule together with production to get the cast together <laughs> and when you else. say like that we're monsters <laughs> <laughs> every time well, he turned around they, they would be I filming think... him like they would be filming him chasing him around the sets and stuff like that trying to film him <laughs> and get interviews and you're like Poor Connor, like, and yeah, so we're in set, we're in sections, or was I can't remember, it was a fantastic fest, and we got the premiere of the Momo, the making of, the making of, and it was like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And then take that up, we took that show on the road because, John, you just described what happened at every film festival. It was like, okay, uh, TikTok guys, we have 10 minutes until screen time. Where is everybody? And they'll be like, I don't, Chris went down to that that bar to have a beer and well who's he with he's with Tommy oh well where's Sarah I, I don't know Sarah's gonna be here okay yeah it was like and then we went to Sieges and it was the same thing because you know Spain it was just unbelievable and everybody was in the bars and we were like going around trying to like gather oh the cast up to get ready <laughs> Barry, they, were, they were selling mojitos to go okay yeah <laughs> in a, in a plastic takeaway cup with straws take away what <laughs> What would you have me do? Where else would your body want you to go if you had the choice? <laughs> Barry. I was like, I've no, I I wasn't I was so shocked at the scale of it when we got to Texas that I had like a mini panic attack before the the premiere. Cause like we had been like giving clothing to try on from designers. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I my I can't compute. I just like I brought oh, I brought my whole suitcase. Oh because, my God, I remember that in my hotel room and Sarah was like, uh, no, I won't wear that. Oh, this looks, no, no, I won't wear that. Oh, I no. love that. No, I won't wear this one. I, I love this like, <laughs> I was terrified. And then like, we're there and like, none of us, like we were unleashed rascals. Like none of us had ever been to something where you have to have like, I'm like Malcolm and I included like some semblance of like, you got to have your, you know, your, your senses about you because people are looking at you everywhere. Yeah. And like just Barry constantly being like, you can't do that. Don't do that. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> and it, we've got a relaxed approach to professionalism. Yes. And... Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'll never forget that first, the look on your face when we were in Austin and we were doing our, our briefing night before. And uh, I said something about, hey, you know, just let's, this is, this is a film festival. It's a really big opportunity for everybody. And um, I remember I said something like, Hey, so, you know, just, take it easy on the booze and stuff. And I looked up and everybody's jaws were dropped. Like, wait, we're in Austin, Texas. I think it was like 75% 
of us. I mean, I'm American, but everybody else in the cast was from somewhere else. And I don't think, I think three fourths of us had never been to the United States before. And so Austin was the very first place in the United States. A lot of people was experiencing and it was like, Hey, this is Texas. I'm supposed to be drinking beer all the time in the movie, in the lobby. In the, and it was like one big party. So Not, always like, Not always true. Not always true. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to perpetuate Scottish stereotypes either, but you know, there's an expectation. <laughs> I'm there's an expectation. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere, there's, a, look, there's you know, an expectation. Have your fun in uh, in moderation. But it was all fun. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's. I, I think it is. It's that. It's. It, it's that yeah it's that sort of nature like that that was what made it so fun to make the movie and and we were so lucky to all meet on a production where the producers and everyone wanted it to be the, I remember the, yeah the first time I properly met Nason the producer and like we're just having a general chat and um, we were sitting sort of in the back of the cafeteria while things were being filmed and I, we all had to leave the room, like me and Chris and Nason and Nick, because we kept getting shushed because we were being too loud and they were making a film. And we got turned out of the room. And I remember, like me and Chris, when we were getting told off, we we were kind of like, "Oh man, oh no, we've that's really bad form." We probably did. And then realizing that we were like, "Oh, we were having a conversation with the the freaking producers, and we're fine." <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> first time I met Nason was in Toronto and he like was there to interview me about choreography and I my hair was blue and I was like tired and beaten to shreds from working in the service industry and I would, had, sat down and had a coffee with him and he's like I don't want the zombies to dance and I was like neither do I and he's like I think we're gonna get along great and I was like <laughs> okay great and then that was it and then we were friends but like truly like uh again first time ever making a film of this scale like to meet the producer and it, for them to just be like the coolest nicest person on the planet is a really fantastic um entryway uh, i know like just just to pay tribute to nason nason alikaru who, who's been with this project since like what 2009 like mm-hmm. uh uh like he's he is the most like wonderful wonderful robot you'll ever meet in your life like he is a machine <laughs> the man is an absolute machine and um like uh, I, i've one of the things you know of meeting these guys but like like nason's like he's pretty much like my best friend now we like we speak every day every project we ever want to you know we ever have the two of us are like let's do this let's do this um and uh, he's he is literally he's, he's he's like my hero he's like if there's anyone i want to emulate it's nascent, like you know. I'm gonna tell him you said that. Uh, don't don't tell him that, right? Because he's uh, he is he's literally like he's he, he doesn't he never comes on to these podcast things because he's like no one ever wants to hear from me. But like it's like you have every bit of information or knowledge about this film. You've been with it since since it's like since Ryan turned to you and went. Uh, I, I saw um, a high school musical and I think we should do that with zombies. Like, you know, like that mm-hmm. is like really like the, the, the pinnacle, like um, um, at the beginning of this. And he's, he's like one of the most wonderful producers to work with. He's, he's got such a kind heart. He's so funny. And uh, I like, uh, I wish you, I actually wish he was here to be able to, to chat away. He's as well. Cause he's, he's an absolute gent.
was I thinking this is not Disney I'm way off script and losing the plot Things don't work out that way I'm not McConaughey turning the charm on calling the shots If this was a movie maybe she would be willing to share my world I'm starting to realize sometimes the nice guys don't always get the three cuts of the films you also had your um film film festival cut and of course the american cut due to multiplex time um time periods and then the and then there's also the third cut which is the uk cut no so it was like it was like the rest of the world cut so what happened was me and nason we were in sections and we were watching it and we turned to each other and went we could tighten this up we could tighten this up and when Orion, and when we were doing the stuff with, with, with Orion like the, the US said to us like look you know we'll, we'll put out any cinemas but we're not going to put out any more than a 90 minute film um, so we had to then go back in and cut it and while we were doing that we were like right well, where can we save the time where can we where can we fix this and there were certain things that we lost in that cut that we were a bit like you know that 
we wanted to keep. And then at the same time, there was such, such sensible cuts, like things that, you know, that we hadn't seen and that we hadn't, you know, mm-hmm. thought of before, that like, you know, with, with, you know, with the Americans coming in and sort of saying like, you know, we see this or this or this. Um, and, um, you know, it was so really like that sort of like third rest of the world cut, I, I think is the best cut. Um, I think it's the sort of the, the one that, that uh, went out. Um, but funny enough, when the film went out and got uh, well, when it done its worldwide release, all three of those cuts played around the world at the same time. So we had the the UK and the European cut, oh, we yeah. had the American cut, and then the festival cut because Australia has got such a like a really really um, uh, like it's really hard to get things rated in time, and because they're so rigorous with it, it takes like so long, and we couldn't get the rest of the world cut rated in time so they were playing the festival version because nice. they had already been rated so like when we done the release all of them were playing at the one time so that was pretty cool um, cool. I, I knew you were going to blame it on the Americans <laughs> <laughs> I was just blaming it it was experience <laughs> what, no, what's no. the running time on those because uh, the version yeah. I saw was 92 minutes so the 90 minute version that Eula saw, did, does it end with Hollywood ending? Like the full on, uh, this is not a Hollywood ending at the end? Or was it a sort of scory version? Um, it, it, no, it was not the full on version at the end. It was just, uh, oh, wow. What, it's, 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 a, it's a school ending. The one that I saw was where yeah. they get in the car and they go yeah. and they leave. John's, so, I think John's talking a little bit about the end credits too. Well, so, no, no, it's not so like the... Um, and the the festival cut it opens up with the cartoon at the 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 last two cuts has it in the end the American cut like I think it would be the ninety two minute cut that you watched um at the very end when Ella sort of like you know when Steph says where to now and turns and then uh, Hollywood ending there's a reprise where like with the um the full on yeah. song that's well, what happened. So that's the American cut, and the in the U or the European one, or the it's it's like a, a half time, but it's in a score. Like we don't play the full yeah. version of Hollywood ending. It's Hollywood ending, but as I say, in sort of score, um, and that's kind of like the difference. Um, the logic, I mean, it's it's really pretty interesting. I mean, John, you can speak about it better than I can, but the logic behind it was that. Um, we needed to bring back the optimism at the end of the movie. Right. Oh, uh, the American way. Yeah. <laughs> optimism. It's not like an unhappy ending. We no. got to, and we were like, it's a different, John was like, it's a different film. It's a different ending. And um, so we did the best we could, but um, yeah. No, so, like, like I, I'm still happy with like the American version. Like I like, I, again, if I, we hadn't done it, then I wouldn't have seen some of the, the, the amendments that I like I should have made and that I knew I should have made like so like um I mean which side are you on I like I, I love but like you know we had to cut that from the film so there's another musical number that's completely cut that's but with like Savage and his um uh, uh, and Anastad Anastad yeah. so that's on like the 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 festival version but we cut that from like the the the, the last two versions as well you know um we knew we didn't need it um but like you had to sort of like go through that that to, to see it if that makes sense um and um so yeah so like the it's, i love all diff- all three of them for the different reasons and like you know like mm-hmm. I, like like if I, and if we hadn't done that shorter version then i wouldn't have had the version that we that i'm really happy with yeah. um 
I do well, I like th that there's a wraparound too, because it starts with her in the car and then it ends with her in the car. So like that kind of wraparound was kind of cool because it again, I don't think I caught it on the first time, definitely the second time I did. And I was just I rewatched it yesterday too. So I was like, Oh, I love I keep I love that. Yeah. I, I wanted to bookend it with with her. Um yeah. with, you know either side on that. The contrast of the day beginning and then that, you know, yeah. Well I've seen both I've seen both versions and I think they work. I quite like, I like, it's kind of weird because sometimes it's like I tend to prefer like the director's cut or the extended cut of any film. But in this case, I found it really hard to make that decision. The only thing I did miss out of the 92 cut version is I did like Mark Benton and Paul Cave's that song that they do together because Mark Benton, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. I mean, in the UK, we're quite used to seeing him and he always appears here and there and he's got, he gives such a fantastic performance and actually to see him he can actually has a really good singing voice which kind of shocked me i don't know <laughs> why because the thing because you know i guess in the uk when you you know i've been here 30 years now and and you know you see a lot of character actors and they pop up in tv shows and so on and so forth or films stuff like this but but when he sang i thought to myself like god he's got a bloody good voice and it was really nice to see in that and that him going, I know I knew that Paul K can sing. I mean, we have a long history of Paul K from Dennis Pennis onwards through, through his career, sort of thing. So, and especially now with um, Game of Thrones, he had a right. nice part in that as well. <clears throat> yeah. But, um, but yeah, well, but just seeing Mark Benton sing, I thought, like, oh, it's so it's such a shame that that actually got cut from the 92 version. But well, I do understand how that works. So, there was another song that he sang that got cut as well. Um, it was called, uh, oh, what was the name of it now? And it was, um, this is, is so it's him and Anna singing. So like um, it, it's like uh, oh, I can't remember, it's like but it got this thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it got cut as well. Um, so I did feel bad because like Mark had then like in the final version doesn't sing at all. <laughs> but um, that was like the, the um, uh, just things that, that happened. That was it, that I ended up in the yeah. cutting room floor. Um, and it was a really nice duet between the two of them actually. Um, is it uh, which side are you on, or some things will never change? Some things will never change. Okay. That was that was the yeah. one. So th that one went to the cutting room floor completely. Um, but uh, yeah, like, um, but funny enough, I, I worked on Waterloo Road, um, uh, like when it moved up to to, to to Glasgow, and I actually moved my I actually moved Mark Benton into his flat. So like, I, I had to go and build IKEA furniture in his flat, and like, sort of like my welcome <laughs> basket, and uh, ha hand him his keys in the pouring rain, um, like uh, so. It was funny to cast them and then be like, I'm going to tell you what to do. <laughs> Here's my keys, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I have to, to say that hats have to go off to Mark Benson's portrayal. Because, I mean, it's such yeah. an endearing portrayal, actually. <laughs> and I had to sit there and say that, that that's another thing that you don't tend to get. You tend to, like, either really enrich, um, you know, high school characters and then these cardboard cutout parents or you know vice versa and here you kind of have the whole package with everyone and yeah. and how did so how did the adults mix with the um the, the children i should say um <laughs> in the film I, <laughs> I mean the, the two the two guys were like they i mean they weren't on set for as long and they really weren't around the, the cast as much because like we had paul had a really strict um, schedule we had to get him in and out because of his game of thrones filming that's why he kept the beard as well um so like paul was paul was in and out uh and so was mark really 
um, they were they were you know um, so it's not to say like they, they didn't mix and mingle, but like yeah. you know we were in to, to to do those sort of those scenes and we were all over the place. It was one of the one thing as well was like like you know like as Malcolm was saying like oh I, I never knew that happened or I never knew that happened. Of course it was in the script, but like it's different seeing it and seeing the sets and seeing the characters and and folk in those sort of positions. So like um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was really only Ella that kind of really got to sort of mix with them both because, like, you, you know, like, Sarah, you've got a scene with um, uh, with Paul when you've done, of course, the choreography with Paul and Malcolm, you've only got, like, a, a wee tiny one with, with, yeah. with, with, T, with T-Dog. So, it's, um, they were, I mean, as I say, sort of different in that sort of side and they're both, you know, professional actors and, you know, they, 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 um, they had their own sort of, like, dream rooms and things like that. Um, but, you know, they were in and out, whereas like the the kids were never in it and running about and running them up. So <laughs> couldn't help but notice them. <laughs> I just buy my own taxis back home. I was like, I'm gonna stay, and I just like <laughs> I was like, it's fine. I'll just get my own ride. It's good. <laughs> That's not allowed here in Canada, apparently. I've tried that many times. Like, no, you have to go home. Like, <laughs> you can't just stay here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Stay. I'm like my friends let me stay in Scotland. I don't understand why I can't stay. <laughs> I know the the assistant directors were like uh, um, probably getting a little bit uh, upset with them, being like, "No, I need to put you in a tie. I need to put you in a car bag because you have to no, be back here." No, I'm like gonna stay and hang out and with John. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm tearing my hair out. <laughs> I think um, I think we should um, talk to Barry for a little bit because why Barry's kind of been almost in the beginning of everything, and Barry actually um, wrote co- well co-wrote the novelization of Anne and the Apocalypse. So how did that come around, and what, how was your? Because it's very rare that a writer who writes a novelization of a script is able to spend so much time on the set. So how did you find that experience? Yeah, it was, it, it was completely a unique, the whole thing was, you know, just like the stories you've heard, um, was all kind of circumstance. I was on a train, I was living in London. Um, my spouse is a designer on a show called Outlander, and we had moved over to the UK. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, for seven years, you know, I was in London and Glasgow, but I would train up back and forth all the time. And I was on a train when I met Nason Alakaru, who, um, as John said, is the greatest guy in the world. And Nick Crumb, who's also just a great guy. And uh, we sat next to each other on a train. And, uh, you know, I was from Los Angeles and uh, had worked in the entertainment business there. And uh, yeah, Mason at one point said, hey, I'm making this zombie Christmas musical thing. You should come check out the songs. You've got some experience. I'd, at the time, I think I was the chief marketing officer for Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas. And um Anyway, I had some exposure through that in my my job as head of entertainment at Mattel, a toy company, um, doing some musicals. And he's like, you should come meet the guys and hear the music and just see. And I was, I literally remember, and I've told Nason this, thinking to myself, holy shit, this is what my life has become. I'm on a train into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> a zombie Christmas musical, could there be a worst idea? This sounds like a... <laughs> You know, not a B film, but a C film. This is this is uh, my, my career's at an all time low, and uh, and literally, as you do, you know, when someone gives you a business card or something, and you're on a train and says, "Hey, you know, 
here's my my name and number, call me because I'd like you to come in and hear the music. You kind of put in your pocket, it sounds like a good idea because you've talked to him for four and a half hours on the train. But then you go home and a couple of days go by and you think, I'm never gonna do that. I mean, I don't even know where I am. I didn't even know, you know, where the grocery store was in Scotland. I was completely a fish out of water. And so uh, that was on a Friday and then Monday rolled around and I remember going, oh, I'm just going to throw this thing in Google Maps. It's probably out in the middle of some nowhere, and they're going to find my body dead and stop <laughs> in an ice cube and the tundra. You know, I had all these American ideas about what Scotland was was like, and um, I threw it. Yeah, I threw it into Google Maps, and it literally said, "Walk out your front door, and turn left, and walk down eight houses, and walk into the Blazing Griffin offices." and I was like, oh my God, it's only eight houses down from where I'm staying. I mean, I guess I kind of have to go. And so, you know, that's when I met Roddy and Tommy and heard the music and everything. And um, so that fast forward into um, kind of going on board to help do all the marketing and PR junket and the press junket for the film, because I, I had that background. Um, and we were on set. It was actually Hollywood ending, which everybody's talked about. Sarah was literally teaching choreography. And that was the day, my first day on set. And when I met um, everybody, really, other than the producers who I knew, um, and watching Ella perform, jump on that table <laughs> over and over and over again, jump off the table, jump on the table. Um, Sarah trying to get the hair back and forth to, to be in sync. Um, and, you know, honestly, listening to the lyrics of Hollywood ending over and over again, as you do on set, um, I literally turned to Nason. I go, oh, my God, I mean, this story is a, is this song is a story um there is no such thing as a hollywood ending and how refreshing uh and and what a generational message it is for kids the, you know these days um that they you know everybody grew up trying to be a disney princess i'm i'm an ex-cast member and everybody you know is trying to be a disney princess and grows up with these ideals and they took that and flipped it on its head so brilliantly and watching john in action trying to direct that the dance sequence I mean, I think the whole cast was part of that. It was just the magic of it. And I thought, you know, we need to tell this story in every form possible. Um, and I turned to Nathan and I said, let's do a young adult novel, you know? And he's like, can we? And I go, I can, let's do it. And, um, you know, the journey started there. And we uh, got a publisher, Macmillan, in the U.S., came on board really quick um, I had done a uh, property with the woman working there called Monster High, which is a brand I was part of creating at Mattel. And uh, I went to the same woman who is my publisher for the first Monster High book. And she's like, I love Anna and Apocalypse. Let's do it. I mean, she, she had just seen the script and some of the pieces of the story and I pitched it to her and she's like, I'm in, uh, but we got to go really fast. And uh, cause we, we ended up, I don't know if you little known fact, we ended up releasing the book two months before the film came out. And Macmillan really thought the film should be in the bookstores and available for sale when the film broke. And uh, that gave us three months to write a novel. And uh, the only way we could pull it off, it, you know, anybody, any writer will tell you, novelist will tell you, um, I had a couple of great assets. I had um, Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry's beautiful words to work from. But when you extract all the music the brilliant Roddy Hart and um, Tommy Riley music, you're, you're not left with a, a book. You have to fill in a lot of gaps. And so there's, uh, I was going to make this point a little bit earlier. Um, the great thing about the Anti-Apocalypse franchise is there's all these great Easter egg and treasure hunts. Not only are there three different cuts of the film, but even the original cut, there was an opening musical number that was shot, you know, 
in Port Glasgow, but the weather was so bad, it blew all the props off the set. And so I remember being in a meeting where John, you know, we were talking about it and decided we needed to animate that whole song because the film just was not usable. Um, so like those Easter eggs exist not only there, but there's two songs that didn't appear in the movie that are on the soundtrack that are still great songs, but they, we just, you know, they didn't work in the cuts of the film. And then in the book, it's the same thing. When we, when we pulled all the music out, we had to figure out how to fill a lot of gaps. And so there's some very different storylines that we use to piece together, but yet still take the reader on the same journey. I think also, um, before we wrap this up, I think we need to mention John's, um, Fan of horror, which most of our um, podcast audience, we're huge horror fans. Yeah. So, and um, they also need to give a nod that he used some of his horror fandom and put it into Anna for little Easter eggs for people who are horror fans of zombie films. I know I'm a massive, massive horror fan. Like, um, like I grew up, grew up with like um, my mum. She like loved John Carpenter movies and Stephen King movies. So like, I should just be like popping my head around the door and like telling me like, oh, Christine's starting. I remember being like eight and like I sticking her head around the door and going like, Night of the Living Dead starting on Channel Four, and you're like, cheers, mum. Like, uh, yeah, it's um, <laughs> amazing. Um, I, I like I was off school sick once. I was like, you know, um, she taped a movie for me. She's like, she what? She taped the original Black and White Lord of the Flies, but she was the second movie. She she'd left put the VCR to run. It's got a good Scottish actor in it. I'm nine. I'm off school sick. I'm lying on the couch. Put this thing on. It's the Wicker Man, isn't it? <laughs> she, come, <laughs> she comes home from work. She comes home from work and she went. Did you enjoy it? I went. They bought them. They burnt them at the end, yeah. The, ba- the baddies won. The baddies won, Mum. It's like, yeah, that happens sometimes. I was like, oh! Um, yeah. Um, so, like, uh, I've, I've always, like, so I've, I've, I've always grew up with horror. I love it. Um, and, yeah, so, like, just trying to, like, cram as much horror in there as possible. And, like, I know that this was, it was horror fans that were going to take this film and just, like, take it and run with it. And um, I was always, because of the way that I wanted the, the film structured, that the first act had to be like a zany teen comedy, the second act a, a, a horror comedy drama, so the third act could be that out-and-out horror drama. Um, so, like, I know, like, fans like uh, like Joe, like, who's watching the beginning of it, is going, like, hey, I signed up for, like, a, a zombie musical. I, I, I've just got High School Musical, mate. What's going on here? So, that, like, you know, like, so when um, that second act kicks in, I like you know I want to do the horror tropes, those like high, over the top, like you know like opening up on her eye and then you know like building like underneath the bed, to, all building her taking a little sweetie out, just to sort of like nod to like that audience and be like you know thank you guys for watching <laughs> horror comedy is about to ensue, and then she walks outside and it's like chaos everywhere. Like, like that's like it's things like that that you know I, I wanted to sort of bring to the, the project and wanted wanted to make sure of it. Um, and there's like there's so many horror references throughout there. Um, there's a there's a um, a, a happiness of the Kakutauris like poster, which is like the original zombie musical because like you know like Takeshi Miki's Japanese musical where like you know it's you know absolutely mental and the third act zombies turn up like you know like it, like making sure there was stuff like that all throughout the film. Um, um, the the graveyard. I wanted to sort of do it's like a sort of like nod to Night of the Living Dead, and yeah. um, you know, is I've tried I've tried to think offhand all the different ones. I think there's at one point there's like um, they're swinging a cricket bat. Um, uh, ben is swinging a cricket bat just before John gets taken, and that's like to, like nod to Shaun of the Dead. Like you know, there's there's right. so many of them, just like little things. 
I think there's even I know it's not a horror movie, but I think there's even a Demolition Man reference in there. Like you know, like, there's, there's, like <laughs> I tried to me and like the, the team, we just tried to chalk as much like you know silly horror references and little nods as possible. Um, so that you know, it was the, when people watched that again, they went, oh, oh, oh wait, oh wait, 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 oh, oh, you know. Um, so yeah, so like I, I, I love horror. Um, I've been so lucky to be able to do a horror because everything I've done so far is like comedies, and mostly in the sort of romantic area, which is mental. Because I'm like, I just want to have blood spotting things. That's all I want. <laughs> I mean, I love. That's one of the fa- my favorite scenes is when uh, I think it's Anna knocks the head off of the snowman. I mean, and, and poor, poor, uh, you know, John is left screaming. You know, like that scene is so good. But it's you know, kind of comes at you from nowhere. <laughs> well, like my favorite, one of my favorite scenes were was was when when uh, Sarah had the zombie and was squashing its head in the toilet seat. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> or that or the pool too. The the old person. The pool, yeah. I mean, uh, the, yeah, the I writing can. I do have to say the writing is brilliant because I was literally like just the like. Oh, how are we going to get out of here? And then you just see the feet with the pool, and you're oh, just I like, know. "Oh my god, it's so good! <laughs> this is the worst <laughs> idea ever." It was the worst, but it was so funny, and it was just perfect for the movie. It was great. It was. I got a kick out of it. I was watching it last night and wondering if, so, uh, again, this is my first time seeing it. I, I, I was seeing things, especially during that opening, uh, that that opening number after everything just kind of uh, after all the the shit hits the fan and she goes outside and everything is turned. There were so many things in that that I'm like, was that intentional? Because some of the some of the um, some of the things I saw, I was like, the the film that that would be from is so obscure that I. Was that an accident? Like um, th- there was um, like one John. of the zombies. <laughs> yeah, one of the zombies looked like uh, <clears throat> uh, looked like the, uh, the the monster from Joe D'Amato's uh, Anthropophagus, and I'm like, is that intentional or did he <laughs> just find somebody that happened to look like that? So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool. It's cool to hear that you're that big a fan now. Um, like uh, again, it's just it's just uh, the 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 fun and you know you know it's like Joe like you want you want practical in camera like blood as much as possible and that was like something like that I wanted like uh, from the start so like the, the snowman like the 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 seesaw um, uh, head getting knocked off I knew yeah. that that was like well like I, like, I, like as soon as I read it, I went oh I know how I'm going to do this it's going to be on a fishing <laughs> wire we're going to have a blood cannon going up <laughs> beautiful like, you know, like, like um, because I knew that the, like you know as I said you, you've got like a, um, a like a sort of teenage comedy like a drama to begin with and it is that you know it's the horror fans as I said that are the ones that are going to turn up to the festivals to watch this right. and if you're not giving them the, the, the certain things that they're, they're going to want which is and, and it's the things that they'll, they'll champion you for and it's having that like you know that bit of practical effects and as I say, those sort of like like winks and nods, then and uh, then you know that's that's what you need to do. Um, and as I said, I'm I'm pretty lucky to, to have been able to sort of land such an amazing script in my lap to be like, yes, <laughs> bowling balls, head smash, yeah, that's yeah, exactly <laughs> lots of blood. I loved it. Well, my game my game chaser is um, when Anna's singing her song, and in the background you have one of the zombies eating a baby in the carriage. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, I love that. <laughs> that was great. That. that was that was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, you think, you're looking at yourself and like, did I just see that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we yeah, go. I, I backed it up once. Was that a baby? <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> 
was. It was a baby. It was a baby. <laughs> the whole way through, like, like the, the notes process, you know, like when, you, when you've got execs, you're doing cut after cut and you're, you're getting notes coming back. And like, I remember we were getting really close to the deadline and, um, you know, the, like the notes were like, there was just little ones that were coming here and there. And I remember turning to Nason and went, has nobody mentioned the baby? And he went, no, <laughs> not once. Not once. And I was like, Seriously? Like, we've got some sick execs. Like. <laughs> I think it helps that Ella Hunt's dancing in the front. Tasteful juxtaposition right there. Yeah. Well, that was great, though. She's dancing this, this, this inspirational song, and she's got all this carnage going on behind her, and she's oblivious to all of it. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think that's what I mean, people really want is realistic carnage, you know? Yeah, people yeah, who are yeah. actually going to die. I think, like, well, there's, like, a Coen Brothers film where they killed Brad Pitt within the first 20 minutes. Of course he would have died in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. They're like, thank you! <laughs> well, even I mean, when they, at one point, like, I think they're at the bowling alley when uh, they're like, so how's it going outside? And you look out, and even the military are already taken out. And you're like, well, this is not good. You know, it's yeah. like, we're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that um, uh, turning my life around was like our uh, Hall of Notes, you make my dreams come yeah. true. So yeah. um, the, actually when she walks out the door, um, like the, the camera moves in and it's like the, the shot from 500 Days of Summer when Joseph Gordon-Levitt steps out yeah. and like steps oh, back yeah. and the camera moves in. Yeah. Um, you know, um, as I said, so like we tried to put some like, much sort of like references and sort of like fun stuff from fun movies that we love and uh, yeah. We got a savage dying like a uh, like a Joe Pilato's character in uh, Day of the Dead. That that was fantastic. Uh, we got to build that thing for his stomach right. and stuff like that to pull all the stuff out. <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun, like so so much fun. Um, yeah. But wasn't your uh, your special effects was the person who won Face Off? Was it? Is that true? Pardon, sorry. Who did your special effects, um, your makeup special effects? Was it the so Ma- winner from Face Off, the TV series? No, no, no. So Maxine okay. Dallas, Maxine Dallas yeah. did it. So Maxine yeah. Dallas did like um, the, okay, the Outpost movies she'd done. Oh, um, yes, I know. Like, the so movies. we call her like the, the, the zombie queen here in Scotland because like she gets all the zombie movies. Um, <laughs> and, um, and of course, like um, uh, she was working with our um, uh, design, like design team, which is headed up by Ryan Clackery. Um, so, so again, it was it was all sort of like a, like Scottish crew that sort of done this. And I think that was my DP, um, um, uh, Sarah Dean, was the only one that sort of like that came up from like down south. I think most of it, most of the crew were all Scottish. Um, yeah. Um, so, how did Sarah and Malcolm find working with all the special effects? Did you like that aspect of the filming? Oh heck yeah! Malcolm got the best out of it all. I did oh, some, some good ones. Um, I've still got, I've, I've still got like a. Oh yeah, because my, I, yeah, I got like the full day. I got, I got the best thing because I, I got zombified, but I only had to do it <sighs> once for one filming day. So I did the thing and sat in the chair, and they put loads of, like, it was just so much stuff because it was towards the end of the shoot as well, and there was some stuff she, she was just like, I've got another couple of uh, injuries here, so we just, and I just sat in the chair for hours. Mad on. And it was all cool that whole time. And I've still got like the ear bit came off all in one. I've still got that somewhere. Um, <laughs> and then, and then at the end, of, and then at the end of the day, I got to take it all off and was like, 
I don't even have to do that again. That's great. <laughs> what happened to the sweater? <laughs> oh, I still have, I've got I've got one of the original sweaters. Oh, in, oh that's cool. It's in the Malcolm the Museum. Well. Yeah. The Malcolm Museum. <laughs> <laughs> this one didn't make it. In. That's okay. One um, of the, the the days that Malcolm got was the the was one of my favorites. Was like the the head smash. You know, with yeah, the bowling balls. Oh man. Um, and um, uh, and like. We'd, so that was us heading on to location for two weeks. We'd spent three weeks in the school and the two weeks out on location. And um, my designer had sat sat down. We had like a, a head of department meeting before we went out to go and uh, to go and shoot the re- to go and shoot the film, or like the, the 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 location stuff. And my designer sort of like you know stood up and he was like, "Look, I'm going to have to just say to you, we're going to go into this bowling alley, and it cannot be left the way that you left that canteen, right? The, the, this this school." Was was a working school, a primary school, so that's like like so like the kindergarten up kind of oh like gosh. that sort of like age group of kids were all coming back to this school, and they had to like buy like deep cleaners and stuff like to clean all the blood because it was just dripping down the walls. <laughs> Can you was, imagine those poor kids going like, in with that there? They'd be like, "Oh God, what happened?" <laughs> well, funny enough, we went in to do a talk with the school afterwards, and the kids were like, There's, "There was blood in the toilets, and there was blood," and they were like, "No, no, we cleaned it all." And like, no, 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 you lying. And so, like, he was like, he was deadly serious, the most serious I've ever seen him. And he's like, "Look, so when we go out to location, we can't do this. We we need to be, you know, be really strict with the stuff." And I was like, "Don't worry about it, buddy. It's gonna cool." (laughs) So we went out. We're going to the bowling alley. I was like, "We're going to put tarps everywhere. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. There's going to be nothing." So Malcolm steps up. Like we've got, like I think we've got like one shot at doing this head smash with everything to come out of it so we got our cameras lined up and it's like right here we go tarps down everywhere we're good we're good and we go it's like you know three two one splat and of course when you think about it when you're thinking of course the blood goes up the way but you know when you're under pressure you don't think the blood goes up the way and all over the ceiling so you're going oh no and like like we've done it and like no word of a lie my designer walks in because we're about to strike the set it's the last thing you do and he sort of like hey, comes in and i'm like hey buddy how you doing <laughs> he's like what happened what happened and i was like Mon, I'll show you. Then I'll show you. And he's like, oh, dude, what are we going to do? And I was like, don't worry. It'll clean off all the like the, the, the screens. That'll come off no bother. And he's like, what about the ceiling? I went, it's ceiling tiles. We'll turn them upside down. No, it's going to know. And he's like, what about the owner? What about the owner? I went, he's over there having a laugh with his wife and child. We're having a ball. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he's having a laugh after he his podcast. Yeah. Can you imagine like years down the road they go to sell the place? Like, oh, yeah. anything bad happen here? No. And there's like this grisly scene. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. We'll just have John sing some hollow notes to him and he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what I want to do is want to thank everyone for um joining our podcast. So thank you, Sarah, for you. Sarah Swire. Thank you, Malcolm Cummings, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you, John McPhail, for joining us. No, nope, my pleasure, did. Thank you, Barry, for arranging this and being very special. And we'll be seeing you next on our podcast for Toxic the Avenger, the musical, and End of the Apocalypse, oh. Double Bill, the recovery. I've been called special many times, Keith, but the way you say it, I don't know. It feels endearing. It uh, is. Uh, he, always, he always makes everything sound endearing. Don't let the, the face and the voice fool you at all. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Yeah, it's one of your fans. Thank you all for coming. It's it's uh, a, a very much a Christmas favorite that I will pass on as a gift to my friends as well. So thank Definitely you. Definitely a pleasure. Definitely. Thank you guys for being such fans. I mean, we thank you for loving the baby that we all love. Um, it means the world to us. So. And that's well, not the baby that was eaten. Just to be clear on that, not the baby that was swallowed. That was an imaginary baby. Nor was actually. In all honesty, I've, I've, all the horror movies I've watched, and we like our horror. I, I very rarely ever see a baby get into <laughs> get me. Like a zombie. So that was like, that was refreshing. <laughs> yeah, by the time somebody stuck into those babies, they've been having an easy ride. <laughs> Women and children first. No, thank you, babies. <laughs> so you want to say um, Merry Christmas and Happy um, Holidays to all our listeners. And we'll see you next week with our Nature versus Man episode, Toxic Avenger the Musical. through